This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we are talking Joker. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. I'm excited for this. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello! Full clown makeup today! <laughs> Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back to the other fun movie topics. This is episode 380. 380. 380, perfect for JW 2019. Yeah, that's right. It is JW week, Joker week 2019, and this week we're talking Joker. What have we done this week that is also related to the Joker? Everything and nothing okay. at the same time, just like the Joker <laughs> likes it. Ah, uh, uh, perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're talking Joker this week, the new Todd Phillips feature uh, starring Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix. And joining us to talk Joker this week with us, we have from Slash Film and the Go Flicks Yourself podcast, Not So Serious, it's Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Also joining us from the Go Flicks Yourself podcast, rubbing another man's rhubarb, it's Ben Conowitz. Hey, everybody. How are you? How dare you, Ben? How... I do I do like to rub that rhubarb. <laughs> How are you guys doing this today, this morning? I mean, I, I think I'm doing pretty well. I'm still recovering from the Joker. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Well, I'm glad to have you guys here. I thought I thought it'd be fun to to have a couple guys that are are very familiar with the the stand up world, given the uh, you know the the Joker's uh, assumed preoccupation. Um, and of course, <laughs> it, w- what better way to celebrate Joker than having you know two white males on the podcast to talk about the film? I think that just made a lot of sense. <laughs> Perfect. Our unique perspective is really going to bring something to the table. I was going to yep. say schlubby, but I was like, that's mean. That's <laughs> <laughs> mean, but, but apt. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's weird. we're not talking the Richard Jewell trailer this week, but that seems more fitting almost to talk Dude, about. That trailer was pretty good. <laughs> Although, whoever's cutting his trailers, good job. Movies, eh. Yeah, they're hit or miss. Yeah. Um, uh, ben, in case you didn't know, Richard Jewell is the new Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, I know you don't like movies. Uh, <laughs> they made a, a movie about the Olympic Park bomber guy? They did. Right. Holy, yeah. and, and it's uh, it's Clint Eastwood, huh? Okay, well, well he's a little old for that role, but no, 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 he's directing it. No, no, but he's starring in it in my no, head. No, no, he's, he's he's not though. That's a bad. Oh, that's a bad. Gotcha. Bad take. Bad. I take. can't wait. I can't just wait to see his latest. You know, everything done in one take. It's pretty great. I hope the baby from American Sniper is in it. <laughs> At first, I thought he said well, American Psycho, and I was like, yeah. what baby from American Psycho? Christian Bale. My baby. We all remember that baby from American Psycho. Oh, <laughs> that baby one, was... It was the one hanging outside the ATM. It was like, yeah, yeah you heard what it said. Feed him a stray cat. <laughs> Winning every award, though, that baby that year. That's that's what got Cooper the nomination, but also cost him the <laughs> He was like, well, he did a great job, but... <laughs> he he had, had, that that baby. Face. Yeah, I had a straight holding... face while holding that baby. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what he does every in every role now. He's like, well, I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> I've held that baby before. We're still talking we've about the Richard Jewell trailer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> those were our thoughts. We got it. We nailed it down. Um, all right, let's let's get. Yeah, so we're glad to have you guys back. Let's um, let's get to some show notes real quick. First up, uh, let's see. 
Uh, it's October, which means that our October horror-themed movie bonus episodes are, are starting. Uh, we already put up one. It is for Haunted House movies, which is a lot of fun to get into. Uh, Abe and I, along with friend of the show, Brandon Peters and Jimmy O, we're going to be talking all kinds of different horror topics for the uh, the rest of the month here. we got four other specials coming, so that's going to be a lot of fun to put together and put out for you guys. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, speaking of which, there will be a commentary track this month that will tie in, of course, to the horror genre. Uh, we'll, we'll get there when we get there, but we already know what we plan on doing. It's going to be a lot of fun. And also, iTunes reviews and ratings. Good to get those. Helps at our show. Helps other people find our show. If you want to log into iTunes, search right now, Theron and Abe. You can do just that and find our... Uh, our podcast and give us a rating and review thank you in advance let's see what else here um that's it for show notes let's move on let's um let's uh, get to some uh, know everybody reach we can ask each other a question or two try to set the tone for the podcast i better get to know no everybody. everybody all right hey why don't you start this one off question for you guys whose endurance is better in a race ethan hunt or alfred fleck Arthur? Arthur. Al- Alfred Fleck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arthur Fleck. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say Michael Goff's Alfred's pretty good. I mean, he's. It's definitely yeah. Ethan Hunt because Arthur runs like a, a goober because I think he's so used to running with those big shoes. That's how he runs blue- all the time. Yeah, it's, tra- yeah. it's changed his actual dynamic when he's running. Like, he, he yeah. can't. Yeah. Here, here's, here's two things to consider. Arthur, for whatever reason, it seems like he's running from a subway station all the way to his house. I don't know where his neighborhood is. Pretty far. And then he also, like, you know, seems to run everywhere else uh, in a goober way, like with the way you described it. And Ethan Hunt runs across, like, Paris. So, you know, pretty know, far first, from both. My, my feelings on this is that uh, Fleck takes him in a, in a shorter distance. But I think the training from Ethan Hunt kicks in after, like, mile one and a half. Yeah, because so. Ethan Hunt's more of a, like, he's he's a long-distance guy. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, he's definitely, he's a marathon sprints. man for yeah. sure. Yeah. No, Dustin Hoffman is the marathon man. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. I hate you so much. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, got, I got a question for you guys. Hit it. Who are your favorite stand-ups currently? Brad, you want to go first? Uh, Sure. Um, I'm, I'm still uh, just desperately in love with John Mulaney as a stand-up. Uh, he's just, he's incredible. He's, he's clever. I love his persona. Um, I've also always loved Pat Oswalt. Um, yeah, I think those are, those are my two, my two favorites still right now. And I'm going to say, I'm going to go, I, I do love John Mulaney. I, I will uh, travel, uh, far and wide to see his stand up uh, in person, but I'm a big Tom Segura guy. And yeah. I also really like, uh, somebody who's been doing it for quite a while, but just kind of hit the stage on Netflix, uh, Nate Bergazzi is absolutely fantastic. I actually just went to Indianapolis uh, on Friday night and saw him uh, down at the Egyptian room. So uh, Tom Segura, great guy, and Nate Brigazzi. Very cool. Very cool, yeah. Well, listen to your mom's house podcast, too. Um, absolutely. Definitely would echo John Mulaney and then add in uh, Pete Holmes as well for the current stuff. And there's a lot of folks, too, but those two kind of just jump out uh, first. Yeah, I think Mulaney all around. Oh, and also uh, uh, Alfred Fleck. <laughs> <laughs> that Alfred. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, Mulaney sticks out for sure. Uh, there's I think it was like just I absolutely like I, I can't miss uh, what I'm saying because I don't go to much stand up these days, but um, I do like watching like specials on Netflix or what have you. 
Uh, Jesselnik comes to mind, actually. I do like Anthony huh. Jesselnik. Yeah. Uh, sticks out. He's a, a have you watched? I enjoy. Have, you, have you watched his show on Comedy Central? Yeah, I have. Good talk. I, I yeah yeah. It's, it's a, a little, I, I like some of that. Uh, it's a little he's got odd. A pretty cool a, way yeah. of interviewing people. Though. It's a little like odd it. because yeah, it's like he's mixing his brand with like like just a regular real, real questions. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, like inside the actor studio with stand-ups, but then he does these weird little Jeselnik bits in between, and it makes for like an inconsistent tone. So it's fun, but it's also like that was weird because <laughs> <laughs> it throws the guests off. Like that's I think what like Eric Andre kind of weird. No, no, because Eric Andre no, would like, like he, destroy the yeah, site or something. Yeah, like, yeah. It, no, it's more like it's more like uh, you know giving like a certain answer and then he'll just either do a non sequitur or just make fun of Comedy Central. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like the best, like the the best thing he does that is always, is always like that throws everyone off is he'll ask a serious question and then the the, the comedian will go to answer it and then there's like this big thump and stamps on and he goes who cares. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I like Jesselnik quite a bit. I think he uh, his uh, his his tone is just it, it works for me because there's not much like it. Um, so yeah, all right. Well, that's how you play. No, everybody. No, everybody. Let's move on now. Let's get to some out now quickies. DM. Each week out now we always get to talk about these quickies. Trademark. I was happy with that one. Pretty good. That was that was really good because I couldn't understand anything you said. <laughs> that's almost exactly the point. <laughs> <laughs> Abe. Have you seen any other movies this week? Yes, I saw. Uh, well, not in full, per uh, per April's. Um, definitely started watching High Flying Bird. I was like, this is a really good movie, but I also have to go to sleep. Uh, and then the other movie that I started watching was Bat- this is the yep. movie I've recommended to you months ago. Months ago, both months because ago. it's easy and on Netflix, and also because it's about basketball. <laughs> it's about basketball. It, it starts out with like interviews from real basketball players. I mean, I think the first person that they interview is like Reggie Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I saw the Carl Anthony Towns interview, but uh, I was like, yeah, got to go to bed right now. It's it's pretty good so far. I mean, I've met uh, uh, Kima from The Wire already, but they're having, like, lunch right now. Um, yeah. And then the next part's the... like, a quick 80 minutes. Like, it's not a long movie. Very <laughs> breezy. I mean, the, the, the dialogue actually really is high-paced enough, and I was like, I wonder if Aaron Sorkin had rewritten this, how faster they could have gone. But uh, in any case, it's a pretty good, uh, you know, move along pace type of movie. Uh, I'll finish it later. And then the other movie that I started in, that I've never watched in full is Bad Boys 2, which is on Netflix. And uh, I got to the part where, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, they're doing the wooster stuff with, with uh, Joe Pants in the office. Oh, so you got like 15 minutes in? Mm, a little bit longer, Se- I guess. 17 probably. Yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. Thank you. Yeah. Credits and everything, too, you know. But definitely a Michael Bay movie for sure. It's more wild than Bad Boys. I haven't seen it in full. Well, yeah, and, it's, uh, it's the most Bay. That's how I tend to. Uh... The most Bay. Yeah. I'm going to use that. Of... I'm stealing that. Because well, <laughs> every, every five shots of that movie, you can cut together and make a trailer. Like it, it's... 100%. Yeah. There's like that club scene where it's a bunch of crotch shots. And it's like, this is completely Michael Bay. But also the explosions are over the top. There's like that that opening sequence with them going to go and and help out Will Smith and Martin Lawrence uh, and all those guys. It's like this is totally like The Rock uh, for whatever reason. Yeah, it's (laughs) it's totally Michael Bay. So in preparation for Bad Boys for Life, uh, I'm going to finish Bad Boys 2. There's some fun action in there. So far, it's okay. (laughs) 
I mean, yeah, it's it's not. I don't rank it as top bay, but I made it because yeah, Bad Boys is a better movie. The Bad Boys Two is just like, look how over the top this is. This is insane. Yeah, that's that's how it feels. <laughs> uh, Brad, what other movies have you seen recently? Um, it's I, Joker was the last one that I had seen. I I've been I've just been busy. Like, and I so I haven't watched a lot of movies. I've been trying to clear stuff off my DVR. So I think last movie i saw before that was probably between two ferns the movie oh yeah it's only like two weeks <laughs> Some, something like something like that i don't know it's been it's it's been it's been a real busy time well, well what'd you think of between two ferns the movie uh it's great it's i mean if you like between two ferns uh the the funnier die web series you'll like the movie zach alfinax is funny in it it's since it's directed by scott Ackerman, it has that uh, kind of comedy bang bang absurdity to it that ties the interviews together and uh, the outtakes alone on the movie are, are funnier than half the studio comedies that get released each year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, if, uh, it's on Netflix. So you should you should watch that because it's it's really funny. Ben, what have you seen recently? Uh, I watched uh, my girlfriend and I try to, which I, I remember my girlfriend's name. Her name is uh, Bailey, and <laughs> Bailey and I we sit down. Ex girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, sorry about that. Uh, we sit down every October. We try to watch as many horror movies as we can, you know, obviously. And uh, we started uh, on uh, October 1st. We watched uh, Stephen King's Creep Show. Oh. And that is – it's a series of vignettes uh, it cut together. There's no narrative that ties them all together. They're, ju- they're just one-offs. And there is – there's one in there with Ted Danson and Leslie Nielsen mm-hmm. that – comes out of nowhere I, I just i'd never even heard that you know those two were in any movies together and they play it it's a serious uh you know scene and it's good like that 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 they have two in there that are really good and three in there that are just okay in and my opinion the, the stephen king what the one he stars in is clearly one of the ones that's very good right that's the no not even a little bit <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird to watch him as a kind of podunk dude turn into a green man i don't know it was that was very strange i mean after it chapter two it's and the Maximum Overdrive trailer, it's his best performance in a movie. Absolutely. Oh, by far. I mean, he crosses his eyes better than anybody in the game today. <laughs> uh, and then we watched uh, Happy Death Day to You. And uh, I, I really like those films. I think that they are f- just stupid fun. Like, I really – I want more of that in my horror. Like, horror comedy is one thing, and I think that, like – horror silly comedy is like another – almost like another genre, and I think this fits very much into that. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. I've seen a number of things I want to get to. Uh, first up, uh, my lovely girlfriend and I, Anna, uh, we went to uh, an outdoor screening of Psycho last night, which was uh, super fun. Uh, I Psycho is one of my favorite movies in general, so I don't think I've ever seen it on a big screen before. And so it was uh, just really cool to kind of do an outdoor screening experience for that movie. The sound is terrific and everything, and just watching that movie in that kind of environment, it's, it's great all around. Um, we also saw Rambo colon Last Blood. Oh no! Um, <laughs> <laughs> the you know it's going in before like hand. I'm I'm aware of like the was aware of like kind of the where people are looking at Rambo as far as what it's doing now versus what it started as, and I, in terms of like how it's choosing to handle its politics or what have you, I don't. It's not it's not smart enough to kind of really contend with the things it like puts it as an implication. It's more just a dumb movie. It has the action that you'd want if you're looking for a Rambo film, but at the same time, it it just feels like a, a giant drop from, especially after doing the first Blood commentary of like where things were. But even like Ram the first Rambo colon First Blood Part Two, like that delivers on what it's trying to do, 
where I think there are just better ways that Last Blood telling the same story could have handled said things. So it's a it's a bit of a shame because it's like it you have Stallone in a movie that doesn't really need to be called Rambo. It just happens to be it has that association with it more for the branding as opposed to like a necessity to make another Rambo movie. Mm. So um, a few other things. Uh, Pedro Almodovar Pedro Almodovar's uh, Pain and Glory came out this week. I saw that a few weeks ago. Uh, but it has Antonio Banderas, and it's very good. I mentioned it on the podcast before, but I just want to say that it's out now. Uh, Lucy in the Sky, I mentioned last week a bit too. Um, now it's out in limited release. It's not good. Um, I like mm-hmm. Noah Hawley's shows. Like I like Legion, and I like um, Fargo, and uh, I I was curious to see how he'd handle like a directorial feature. But it just it he he certainly the style that you see in those film in those TV series is evident in the in this movie. It just doesn't really match much. Like I, there's a way I think what he because there's a lot of like aspect ratio changes. Like the movie's constantly like sliding, and I think the idea would be that you're kind of getting a frame of mind surrounding Natalie Portman's character. Uh, she plays an astronaut who, and it's based off like a real life incident. It's a heavily fictionalized version of these events, but she plays an astronaut who's like went into space and had a real profound experience with it, and then she's trying to adjust after landing back on Earth, and it leads to what we're supposed to be seeing is like an astronaut kind of going mad to some degree uh, mm-hmm. not in the same way as abe's favorite alfred fleck of course but i mean she's going mad <laughs> um and it's a what's unfortunate is that the movie it becomes less about that madness and more about this kind of affair she gets into with john ham's character and it becomes more it feels more like a melodrama than it does like a an interesting just regular drama so mm. it's it's just it's messy in its story. The acting's strong all around, but it's just it's just doesn't come together all that well. Mm. Um, okay. Yeah. And last, I saw the lighthouse. Uh, but I won't get to it too far because I think we might talk about it more in the future because it comes out pretty, <laughs> pretty soon. I'll one word say, review. Yeah. Yeah, one, yeah. I'll just say this looks like it was a very difficult and smelly movie to make. That's that was the uh, the main takeaway <laughs> I had from the lighthouse. <laughs> Uh, it's Can't quite, wait! It's quite creepy in a kind of psychedelic, intense sort of way. Um, <laughs> but in terms of like Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson like making this movie, it's like this just looks difficult. Like that was the main like thought that I had. <laughs> uh, all right, that was enough cookies. Jim, let's move on now. Let's get to our trailer talk, where we talk about what the newest movie trailers of the week, when it's coming out, and what have you. And this week we were talking Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. That's a long title that I do not hope to replicate very often. Um, yeah, this is the... It's not a sequel to Suicide Squad. It's just more of a film that's in that universe that focuses on Harley Quinn. It's directed by Kathy Yan, and it features, among others, Margot Robbie, of course, as Harley Quinn. Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Huntress. Journey Smollett-Bell as Black Canary. Rosa Perez as Renee Montoya. Chris Messina as Victor Zaz. And Ewan McGregor as Black Mask. Uh, so, yeah. She the from the trailer it seems like she's Harley Quinn is separated from the Joker and she's on her own path at this point. Uh, Brad, start with you. What do you think of the trailer for Birds of Prey? Um, I like what it's representing visually and the tone of the movie, but uh, I don't see like a clear narrative here yet, and that may be just because of the teaser. But just overall, it looks kind of messy because it feels like it's trying to do this thing where. It does focus on Harley Quinn and, uh, you know, what her essentially life becomes after she leaves, you know, the Joker. Um, And 
there's there's a lot of there's a lot going on and i'm worried that it's just going to be a big mess um it could still be fun because of that i mean you know harley quinn as a character is kind of this you know this disjointed crazy person so maybe having a movie that is just as frenetic as she is uh could work in its favor but i'm 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 cautiously optimistic right now uh i'm very excited to see what ewan mcgregor does in this movie as the villain uh, i'm a big ewan mcgregor fan but uh yeah i don't know we'll we'll, we'll see i'm I liked the marketing for Suicide Squad early on, so I, you know, I feel like I'm a little bit gun shy now. But we'll we'll see. Ben, thoughts on the uh, Birds of Prey trailer? So I think that if you took the title of Birds of Prey, with the Fantabulous, all that good stuff, and you set that down next to Birdman and all that, you wouldn't <laughs> you would think that they were like two films from the same timeline, and that's really what the movie I want to see. Uh, no, I, I don't know. I, I, this looks like a ridiculous mess to me. I, I'm not interested at all. All right. Abe? Wow. Yeah. It, it's one of those like full or uh, shame on you things. Uh, I don't know the full quote, but I, I'm fool me holding. Once, shame on thank me. you. Fool me. Don't get fooled again. Shame on me. Yeah. I'm going to go with the George W. Bush one. Um, but <laughs> there's just a lot of cool shots in here and it looks like it's well-crafted, but I also thought that the the trailer for Suicide Squad with Queen was pretty cool, and then the movie turned out to be junk. So, cautiously optimistic. Different director, different kind of uh, vibe, but or I mean, similar vibe, but different director. So, we'll see. But you know, I'm gonna be on the fence. I mean, I would say the Suicide Squad trailer was leagues better, but obviously the movie was a garbage fire. Uh, this one, I I can only hope the opposite, where I agree with Brad, where the trailer feels kind of messy, but at the same time. Knowing that behind the scenes, everybody is different from those that are involved in Suicide Squad, it makes me more hopeful, especially because DC, I think, has been on more of a roll with their solo films as opposed to their team-up projects. So while this specific story isn't one where I'm like, I can't wait to see it at the same time, I have more faith in the studio as a whole, given what I've seen from what Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Shazam, and this upcoming this Joker movie we're talking about. Like, there's... There's more to go on versus, hey, we're trying to do Marvel and like Guardians and that worked right, so we'll do that this time. Like, it, it, there's more have more faith to have in like what can come out of this. Uh, the trailer does see it's like very focused on Harley Quinn, which makes sense because it's, I mean, her name is in at least part of the title. But there is, it is like an ensemble film, so I'll be curious to see like if the future marketing like highlights the fact that there's like multiple DC characters like here and like how that plays a role. I think maybe that's why I'm gun shy on this specifically is because if it was just a Harley Quinn like origin story or whatever that, that I could get behind that more than I can get behind yet another ensemble like mm-hmm. here's all these characters and here they're going to work together to, for a common goal and you know I've seen it so many times and DC hasn't been really successful with that so far so that's why I think I'm really just like pass. Mm-hmm. Fair enough and I guess you enough, know, yeah. future trailers will you know either highlight the fact that it either is more or less a standalone that happens to have other supporting roles or if it is like a more a, a tort team up heavy kind of film as right. I said, I, you know i'd be i'll be curious because it's not like we've been in, in the same way that we weren't introduced to them in suicide squad before suicide squad this movie you know we'd be introduced to most of these characters for the first time um but yeah i mean there's there are there are things to look forward to, to be just because i think dc is has a better head on their shoulders than they did when they were kind of first starting out with their version of a cinematic universe but at the same time <laughs> suicide squad is a garbage fire so there was, hey but it's got, this has rosie perez so you, you can't go wrong with rosie perez 
Can't wait for all that uh, high-pitched shouting. (laughs) Actually, I heard Rosie Perez is doing a pitch-perfect British accent in this one. (laughs) Wow. Is that real? No. (laughs) (laughs) I was hoping for that, really. Yeah, what you don't know is actually she she went to go try out for Downton Abbey, but they passed on her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Birds of Prey opens February 7th. 2020. There we go. Let's move on now. Let's get to our main review for Joker. When I was a little boy and told people I was going to be a comedian, everyone laughed at me. Well, no one's laughing now. You can say that again, pal. For my whole life, I didn't know if I even really existed, but I do. And people are starting to notice. You think this is funny? (laughs) Is this a joke to you? Murray, one small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? That should have been some of the trailer for Joker. With a shift away from emphasis on interconnectivity, the DC films have been on a roll. Between Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Shazam, there's been a lot to like in these superhero solo features. However, what if we wanted to follow the bad guy for a bit? Todd Phillips pitched an idea that essentially tied the origins of Joker with a cinematic concept not too far off from some of the intense character studies of the 70s. As a result, Joaquin Phoenix stars as Arthur Fleck, an aspiring stand-up comedian in an unstable part of a city that is swamped with corruption. Will being pushed too far turn him into something truly dangerous, or is his own mind making him into more than just a joke teller? Brad, what did you take away from this take on the Joker, and what did you think of the film as a whole? Uh, what did I take away from the from Joker? Um, I think that's maybe the biggest problem that this that this movie has, and that uh, Todd Phillips has as a filmmaker is that uh, the movie tells this story of a very disturbed man whose rough life and um, mental instability turns him into a crazy, violent person. And there's a lot to be said about that kind of personality, especially in today's culture and political times and whatnot. And the movie does offer up varied perspectives on this period in in our history through a lens that is very much 1970s. Um, But it does so in a way that it's not clear what Todd Phillips is trying to say, because it, it has these uh overt references to things that have happened in the media and things that have happened with you know real life uh you know mass murders essentially people who have um participated in mass shootings but it goes back and forth so much because of how it approaches who arthur becomes as joker because he becomes this icon for people in the middle class and the lower class who are not rich who are kind of being kept down by uh, rich people like Thomas Wayne, somebody who claims to be trying to help, um, who claims to try to help these people. 
and he gains a sort of fame and acclaim for killing three rich douchebags on a train. And for for Arthur, he doesn't realize that people, you know, don't love him because simply because he killed those people necessarily. And so he it's and that part of that becomes, you know, is because of his mind being uh, messed up. And so he he just likes the attention, likes being loved. But he says himself that he's not trying to make, you know, any political statements. So what he's doing is essentially meaningless to him, even though it means something to other people. And because of that, exactly what is the the theme or the message from this movie is lost. And I feel like it makes the movie hollow and it makes Arthur as a character that much more unsettling, which in a way works in its favor because this is a Joker movie. Um, but it's Todd Phillips seems to have a hard time balancing the reality of the themes that he's trying to depict and the details and pieces of what makes Joker the most fascinating villain in, you know, Batman's rogues gallery. Um, so I, <clears throat> I walked away feeling unsettled and unnerved um, because it's, it's hard to reconcile this character who you, you really should be sympathetic to because uh, the way he had a really shitty life with a mother who was crazy and lied to him and didn't really give him the care that he needed but he's also this, you know, what he becomes. He becomes this crazy person who has no remorse for killing people or anything like that. And so there's the, there's also this message here of, like, uh, obviously the people do these violent things because they feel left behind by society and things like that. But how can you feel sympathetic for those people when they ultimately turn to, you know, killing people and making you feel not sympathetic for them? And so I'm unsure whether or not Todd Phillips is insightful enough to create a movie that poses such a question in such a thoughtful way, or if it's merely an oversight in him trying to make a movie that should be that thoughtful. Uh, and that's, that's so solely based on the fact that he's never really done anything like this before. And his comments in the media, as far as publicity is concerned for this movie, lead me to think that he's uh, not really as uh, provocative as he, he thinks he is. A friend on your page called him Florida's Christopher Nolan, which made me laugh quite a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know. It's um, having said having said a lot about the movie itself. I think Joaquin Phoenix uh, is incredible in this movie. Uh, he is chaotic in the best way possible. He always makes you feel edgy because you don't know what he's going to do next. Uh, he he does this great thing where he he brings that innocence of a an old timey clown performer to Joker that I don't think anybody has brought to the role before you know he it's it's this very um kind of um what's the word i'm looking for vaudevillian yes that's thank you that's um yeah a very vaudevillian clown who is just right on the edge of just just killing everybody uh and i think that that's what makes this a, a different kind of creepy than we've seen from you know either jack nicholson or heath ledger uh and even you know mark hamill uh, so I, I love that. I think Joaquin Phoenix definitely deserves to get an Oscar nomination for this role. Um, I just I wish the movie surrounding his performance allowed it to have a little bit more uh, weight or significance, I guess. All right. Uh, ben, what did you think of Joker? Yeah, it was good. 
More succinct. Very, Got it. <laughs> no, that was a very thoughtful <laughs> take, Brad. I, yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, no, uh, so um, first and foremost, the the movie is uh, is uh, is Walking Phoenix, and 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 that's the number one thing that I think that I, that saves it all for me is I was, I, I really, this is the, one of those movies where, you know, it's still two, three, four days on and I'm still thinking about it. And so whether or not it was, you know, uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, you know, detached from, uh, any semblance of, of some, uh, you know, powerful narrative that, that he, that Todd Phillips was really trying to go for and nailing it on the head. Um, I think that, it, I'm still thinking about the damn thing. And so that for me, as somebody who is not, you know, a, a film critic and somebody who doesn't uh, understand the nuances maybe of uh, of film in the way that uh, that Brad does or, or that you guys do. Um, it's still something that it's a powerful enough movie that I'm thinking about it four days later. And I think that all hinges on Joaquin Phoenix performance because it, Brad's exactly right. Every single time he was on screen, I was literally on the edge of my seat. Like I didn't know what he was going to do. And it felt, I was uncomfortable for two hours. It was, in, that's an incredible, uh, uh, staying power, uh, of, of just kind of gritty weirdness that you have to sit in for a couple of hours. And it's all because of his performance. But as far as the actual movie itself, like for me, I, I just need to see some, I, I get it that the, 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 the lens of we're going to make anything that is good in this world is the thing that is shitting on Joaquin Phoenix's character, right? So all the cops are out to get him, all the, all the Bruce Waynes of the world, all the eat the rich uh, mentality. It's all, you know, everybody is against this one person. He snaps and, and then instead of it being like he snaps and let's take a, a real look at what this means – it, instead, they really lean heavily into he snaps and good for him. He's taking revenge and getting back at all these rich people and, and uh, you know, do-gooders and the world needs to burn and everybody's behind him. Everybody is supporting him in this movie. All of all his fans are just it's a very it's a cesspool that is celebrated. And I don't know. And I'm not going to be one of those people that say, oh, in this in this time, in the in this culture, do we really need that? I don't care about that. But I don't understand necessarily from my perspective as a moviegoer, like why I should care, because I really do enjoy having a good guy and having a bad guy and celebrating only the bad guy. I don't really care that much because I need to see some other side. And there was no other side to this movie. I um, in that regard. I wouldn't necessarily say I, I don't need I don't need Batman to show up here to like balance things. It's not a matter of balance for me. I get that the movie's trying to be a downward spiral, um, as far as as opposed to seeing the origins of how someone became a superhero or what have you, or watching how someone became a supervillain. And I think my main issue with the film, which a film is that, that I overall liked, I think Joaquin Phoenix is what you know obviously sells it, along with the visual style. We can talk about whether or not Todd Phillips has a good understanding of the social ramifications of his film or what he's trying to say but in terms of visuals like he does a great job with that which i have seen evidence before even uh, even in his uh, his hangover movies regardless of how much you like the sequels visually they're very well made like they're the the the, the portrayal of thailand and hangover 2 like looks great like you get to see a lot of just really good good sights and like how he blends the narrative like it that works so like seeing him take on this movie i was like okay i i know I have an idea of what I'm going to get. I look forward to that aspect of it. And he does deliver here. But as far as connecting it to the world of of, of DC, essentially, that's the main issue I took away. Like, it's... For a film that's being a heavy, you know, Scorsese riff, among other things, 
that stuff like that aspect of it works but when he ties it into things like thomas wayne and whatnot like that's where the story becomes less successful for me and trying to throw in those various comic book world ties um that said the movie really wants traffic in this idea that it's this dark and hardened very gritty version of joker and gotham gotham city setting it in 1981 um which if you think about new york like that's like the most that was one of the more violent years in new york's history so it's like there's certainly an idea that he's going after here but i for for better or worse it feels very mainstream which is not the worst thing you could say about a movie but like I could see this going farther. I, I could see this really taking it to a, a another level to to show how hard edged this movie actually is. And what's what that speaks to Brad point Brad's point is it's it the whole message is kind of murky because it doesn't really have to go. It doesn't really try to go that far. It doesn't give a hard stance on anything. Which once again, yes, it fits in the Joker's kind of realm because he basically believes in that he's not he's nihilistic like he does there's nothing really he's trying to represent he's just trying to be chaos which you know that can work but if you're making a film about that something there needs to be a little something more i'm not sure what exactly it is but at the same time i just i, I couldn't quite grasp what phillips ultimately had in mind beyond like vague ties into the world of today or what he's seeing out there or what have like it just it all feels murky it all it doesn't like ultimately add up too much it does feel hollow like you said brad like so that's i find that to be unfortunate at the same but still joaquin phoenix is terrific and because he's you know in the majority of the movie there's you know very few scenes that don't involve his character you're getting what you've essentially come to pay for you're getting to see joaquin phoenix as the joker and he's super gaunt he's all gangly moving around like he he, he feels he feels like an alien in this world it's a very it's a it's a unique performance that's you know not on this it's on a different level than what you've seen before doesn't mean it's better or worse necessarily but it's certainly different and i can i can admire that i can admire seeing joaquin Phoenix signing on to a movie like this that's you know more high profile than any number of his art house films that he's done but certainly fits in the same mold as something like the master you know you were never really here as far as weird loner guys that are doing things um it's just it's hitting on a you know a much higher level because of the IP associated with them. So like an audience isn't going to get something like taxi driver very often. They're going to see something more along the lines of a superhero film. And in that respect, yes, it gives you something that's different in this very popular genre. So that works for the most part. I just wish the movie had anything deeper to do other than just, you know, say how, you know, bad people can be <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> hey, where, where are you out Joker? Uh, this is really kind of like a hard movie to, put my finger on because on the one hand you guys have said basically everything that i'm going to say as well and the story of joker is weird because as i was watching this movie i kept on thinking to myself you know maybe axis chemicals was all i needed to know about the joker because there's not really this isn't this is a a villain in the in the dc rogues gallery especially for batman and he's super heinous and he's done things in the games that i haven't played but you know, he's done some, some pretty awful things. And do I need to know his origin story? Do I need to know how he became so uh, terrible and, you know, so, I guess, hardened by life that he just stopped caring? Maybe. I mean, this is a very beautiful story uh, in terms of the aesthetics to look at. 
but as far as, as far as the storytelling goes, it, it, I found it very vapid. I mean, I, you guys had said Jallo, you guys said there's just not a whole lot there. I definitely agree. There's there's just like, the story itself. There's not much that Arthur really goes through. You were going to say Alfred. Yeah, I was going to say Alfred. <laughs> I had to think about it for a second. But there's not there's not a whole lot that he really goes through in terms of like his whole entire like core arc. I mean, he starts out negative thought uh, Arthur, and then he ends up you know, negative thought Arthur with like uh, a following kind of thing. So Brad, you, you kind of astutely put it together where it's just like, this is a person that didn't really stand for anything. And then he sort of stands for something. And then the, the movie doesn't really come across as like, Hey, by the way, my message was this, because I would say that in all this, honestly, the opening shot of the movie with uh, Joaquin Phoenix in there about him holding the sign and whatever else I was like, okay, cool. This guy is kind of a doofus. Um, and then ne- the next scene is him talking to a, a city psychologist um, and sort of like having these like deep inner, inner monologue thoughts. And I was like, I can't get a read. And the whole entire movie is like, I can't get a read on whether this person is extremely smart or extremely aloof or extremely like, you know, out of his out of his element for whatever reason. I also didn't really get a read on like, when does he have this like, weird neurosis laugh you know it kind of comes and goes like when he's nervous i mean that seems like the... it's when he's nervous but at the same time like i guess that he's not nervous all the time even though he has these issues he takes seven types of medication and and whatever it's like and then also he he's as the movie goes along it, it you do get to the understanding of his mom and and the thomas wayne factor and i was actually glad that they i wasn't sure where they're going to go with the thomas wayne stuff and or so, or in general like the wayne family stuff I'm glad that they kind of like didn't do what they were, what I thought that they were going to do initially. No, they did exactly what I thought they were going to do, and my eyes rolled out of my head and fell down to the front of the theater, and I had to go pick them up after the movie. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is totally fine. I mean, that's kind of how I felt toward the end, which uh, sort of um, was one of the more more quote unquote like oh, okay, well this is like a neat way to wrap things up. At the same time, like did I need to see this again? Um, in general, I, I don't really think that there's a whole lot that this movie really brings uh, to the table uh, in terms of like plot, in terms of like what its message is. Like, I think it was sort of really blown out of proportion with pre-release of just oh, like, well, yeah, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. And, but just to like put it on the table now, it's like I, in terms of, well, you know, be careful going to go see this movie, you know, we're going to have added security. We might have like a cop show up. Um, and also the incel stuff and, and the whole entire, like this is a super violent movie. It might, it might start inciting violence. Like, there's like three scenes of violence in this movie and they're all really foretold by a huge cello, uh, beautiful score, but a huge cello like arc in the score. It's like, I know thing, something's going to happen here and it, it's very telegraphed. Well, beyond so the, beyond the violent factor in the movie, like it has its share, but it's nothing. It's not a horror movie. Like it's, it's nothing, not, but, yeah. but, but it's, I mean, it's more of like if the movie was providing a stronger message and inciting certain violence, I can understand. Sure. But it's like, there's not like we, you, we've all said, it's not. There's nothing. It's a harmless movie in that yeah. matter because it doesn't and, have and anything we'll, to really we'll say. Dive it into it. No one's gonna be yeah. sitting in the theater thinking, "Oh, he's saying all the things I like," and now I'm really yeah, getting I, ready to, yeah. you know, blow everybody away. It's like that's. There's nothing in this movie to, to there's, communicate. There's nothing in this movie that after I left the theater, I was like, "Well, I'm I'm super shaken up and disturbed by this now." No, I mean the the messages that they did come across with, which they they kind of just like use it as like a, a crutch, and they kind of not even a crutch, but just like an early plot device, and they get away from, is yeah, the bourgeoisie versus the proletariat, 
and the whole entire like Reagan administration. This is early Reagan, but it's like the Reagan administration taking away funding for social oh, services. It's Gotham, so it's like <laughs> it's an alternate reality. Sure, set in New York City that looks exactly like New York. Got it. Uh, Alfred Flick. Well, it's yeah, set, with Alfred Flick. Yeah. It's set in Gotham City. That looks. It's like set it. in Gotham City. Yes, and they I, used I, locations. I, that's nice, by the way. It was yeah. nice that they use actual locations for this. Hang on, hang on. Let me let me just finish here. I'm, I'm finishing up, but. The thing that I will say is just, like, this guy just doesn't make any sense to me, and that's part of the reason why Joker is so weird. But I feel as though Todd Phillips had a hard time, like, figuring out, like, what he was trying to do because he also has an actress in here, Zazie Beetz. She's terrific, but I don't know what she was supposed to be. Like, in the the, the thing that I can't get my head around is that, um, you know, he, he later goes and says, like, I have all these negative thoughts all the time. Right after he has like one of the, the best days of his life, and I just don't understand. Like, you're not really showing me anything that is really making me feel ultra sympathy for Alfred Arthur, <laughs> um, but I'm also not really getting a sense of like, oh wow, like this this descent into chaos is like it's so overbearing. Like I've seen other movies, we've all seen other movies where it's so overbearing that. You know, you're just like, wow, this is really disturbing. Or I don't, I totally get where this guy's coming from. And to be honest, like Todd Phillips, the last thing I'll say is like Todd Phillips' statements about comedy this past week, Ugh. it really comes full force in this movie. Like there's actually like a scene of it. And I was like, this is in poor taste. Like this is just like, for a guy who like came up with like Hangover movies and, and like, um and uh, uh what's that frat movie? But old school. old school. It's like, dude, like what you said here whoa like this is just like you like you've snapped the joker has a snap you've snapped in terms of other characters that we i mean we haven't talked really much about anybody else because the movie is pretty much the joker show but yeah we have zazie beats as a one of his like apartment complex neighbors robert de niro plays murray franklin a talk show host Actually, like quite a bit. Great, he, yeah, I, great I, Robert De Niro. I thought he worked, and it's it's fun metacasting given his role in The King of Comedy. Um, and then Francis Conroy plays his mother, uh, and yeah, what Brett Cullen as Thomas Wayne, who was originally supposed to be Alec Baldwin, um, which I thought made a lot of sense. Uh, been a great time with uh, Thirty Rock too. Yeah, sm- <laughs> yeah, uh, small role for Brian Tyree Henry, but Brian Tyree Henry's always welcome in movies. Mm-hmm. And of course, the great Mark Maron in a pivotal role as. Murray Franklin's producer on the Murray Franklin show. <laughs> yeah. Biggest thing was him saying, cut it off. Um, and yeah, well, yeah, uh, Bill Camp and Shea Wiggum show up as cops. Like, there's a lot of like fun, like, hey, look at these character actors like showing up in this joke. Yeah, movie. it's it's good to see all those people, but everybody that you've seen, except for like Thomas Wayne, there for like, and, and also Robert De Niro, there for like 30 seconds or less. Like, the Shea Wiggum stuff, I actually liked, but they just like get their asses beat and they're done. Like there's, there are the only two cops, I guess, in the city, minus like the filler cops in the background. With that in mind, you bring up. So, I'm trying not to delve too far into like what things, what happens here, but I'll, oh I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll ask this because uh, the movie obviously has a lot to do, a lot of homage going on when it comes to Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy. Um, those films have aspects where things happen, but they kind of don't happen at the same time. The Joker presents that too. There are. Oh. There are some narrative tricks at play as far as what Arthur is seeing versus what's actually taking place. I would, I would say I wish the movie kind of capitalized on that more. But where did you guys stand on that, Brad? Like, did you have any thoughts on like how the movie tried to play around with kind of reality? Um, I thought it was fairly 
basic in that sense. Uh, it does give this idea of the Joker being, you know, an unreliable uh, narrator. narrator, I guess, even though he's really not the one telling the story that which it's which kind of felt, uh, you know, weird, weird to me. You know, the misdirection didn't really seem like it had any, uh, I don't know, pre like pretense for actually coming to fruition. It felt like a a trick just for the sake of tricking the audience. And but I also feel like it's something that was maybe done to fix the previous version of this script because uh, I had I, I waited until I had seen the movie to go look stuff about this, but I know that there were people talking about earlier versions of the script, and one of the biggest problems with it uh, involved Zazie Beetz's character because originally their dynamic played out more as Arthur being this person who was kind of like a typical lonely weird dude who felt slighted because Zazie Beetz's character was nice to him because she felt sorry for him right. and he mis misconstrued that as affection and when he sees her with her actual boyfriend he gets pissed off and calls her a whore uh so I feel like that wouldn't have worked too well and it feels it maybe hits even a little too much too closer to home on the incel front uh, than even, you know, the movie does in its final form. So I think I like what they did in this uh, as opposed to that, but it still feels like it comes a little bit too far out of uh, right field, though at the very least it does add to Joker's, you know, uh, in, in insanity, I guess. I wouldn't say that I necessarily need to see, like, specifically, like, that character get, like, abused or something, but at the same time, there is a notion that if you're trying to comment on incels or do anything of that sort like the movie doesn't have anything in the form that it currently is in to be beyond arthur being you know presumably mentally ill he's never really diagnosed with anything specifically but i mean he, he has a condition um but to kind of traffic in this kind of area you generally have people that are bothered by genders race or what have you and there's none of that there this movie if anything the movie it, 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 pretty much every single person of color in this movie is super kind to Arthur and nice to him. Um, yeah, it, the, the only people that he like does bad things to are like white men. Yeah, so it's by not by not involved by not doing anything with the city that Arthur is in and the people that occupy it beyond show him take on various people that are either disrespectful to him or at worst human garbage. Again, <laughs> that means the movie doesn't really have anything to traffic in. It doesn't. It doesn't give you much to go on as far as Arthur goes. He's not. He, he doesn't. He's not like an anti-hero. I wouldn't say. Like he's still. No a, way. He's still a villain. But I mean, vapid and shallow are words that have certainly come up. I guess the problem though is that initially they seem to kind of try to make him an anti-hero. I, yeah. I think so too. Trump, I think it's, it tries and to And I think that, that he line. fails at it. Yeah. Well, eventually, eventually it does because he starts to become more sinister. But mm -hmm. for half the movie, I think you do feel sorry for him because you at least have empathy for him. That's for sure. Yeah, because no nothing that happens to him for the first half of the movie is really his fault. Yeah, and you de right. they deliberately place things where you see his perspective, and that he's blamed <laughs> for things anyway, like involving his job. Sure. Just, like, how and see, things, I, think, things I think I think that's the thing that I would have preferred if they uh, if they went the um could to I guess maybe widen the scope of like what sure. uh, can we really trust what we're seeing like I 
like I would have liked if maybe they went back and showed other scenes without Zazie Beats and showed us what really happened. Right. And, and you know, like like maybe that like there's that there's that moment when uh after he I think it's after he gets fired, maybe or something, mm-hmm. uh, or something. He's in the alley and he's just kicking garbage cans. Yeah. And I would, and it would have been way more interesting if you find out he had just killed somebody and was like, you know, still kicking the body or something there, and that he's been this shitty person this whole time. The whole time, yeah, yeah. There's ways to really go about that to emphasize what he's doing. Which is again, this is why making well, it a movie that's called Joker doesn't quite work for me. Yeah, it, it, it actually, you know, Joaquin Phoenix is, and, <laughs> is a crazy yeah, person. Yeah, cra- crazy guy, like, falling apart is is the way that I sort of saw it, and the Joker thing sort of just, like, came in toward the end. But to answer your original question, I agree with you that there's just not enough that that was done to make the the reality seem like it wasn't reality. I mean, there, there's only, like, a couple sequences where, like, they make it completely that... I, I Actually, I don't even know. Is the part where he throws, like, his bag over the fence and then goes in and smooches Zazzy Beats, is that, that's in his head, right? Yeah, well, yes. I mean, yeah, like... it's like, it's fuzzy camera, but again, they never play it up enough for me to be like, to question what I'm seeing on the screen. Well, they, at... I mean, it's handled in a certain way only to give you a reveal later on as a whole, like to justify every sequence as opposed to continually reminding you that there are things that could be real and things that couldn't be real. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, again, the best the best example of it is the Murray whatever show where, you know, you see this beautiful shot of him just like uh, receiving applause and then you see the reality of it later. And you're just like, yeah, this is it's you know, you do have a problem here, guy. It seems it seems like it hints without like giving you the meat in between before you get to an ending that could go a number of ways, which isn't a, I don't find that to be a problem. I just feel like it could have been more impactful. And um, it. The same example uh, or another example in the same scene is, you know, he's got this joke book and it's just filled with like dark thoughts and like pornographic photos. And um, I don't know why they cut to it in the in the comedy club because nobody notices it. Um, They're just like, oh, here's a photo. And then it's like, well, nobody's like, oh, my gosh, you know, this guy is like so weird. We're going to laugh at him now. It's like, no, they just continue with it. But who did it better? American Psycho. Where he's just like drawing all these like weird things, his secretary finds it because she's it actually yeah, it actually shows a result of these. Yeah, things. exactly. It's just like, oh, this guy has not been taking meeting notes at meetings. He's just fucking crazy, and he he almost at one point holds like a staple gun to my head, even though uh, even though I didn't know. But that's American Psycho, a different movie about unraveling. Ben, yes. What do you think of Joker stand up? Uh, <laughs> nobody's <laughs> laughing now uh yeah so that it's just um so the the uh i guess one of the main points that i that i think that i i wanted to make here is that if uh if the goal of the movie is to be an origin story for a super villain basically i think that it falls short in in that respect only because i didn't i don't i don't see the this, the villain part of it. I see a bad guy. I see a criminal, but I don't, but they didn't end it with, or even show you where he's going to go to become like this, the, the Heath Ledger version of it, obviously had, he's like a crime syndicate boss. Almost. He's got henchmen. He's got this and that. And if the, if they truly were making a Joker uh, origin story, it, it, that's, that had, that didn't come through to fruition at, at, by the end of this film. And I, I get that they, they nailed, you know, where his sensibility is coming from and where his chaos comes from, but they didn't turn it at all to make like, Oh, this is going to be a villain. This is just simply a crazy bad person. So that was, that was a little weird to me. And the, and then the only thing I wanted to ask you guys about regarding like the timelines and, and what really happened, what didn't happen is, so I looked at this movie through the lens of at the end of it saying, Okay, 
maybe let's, I'm looking at this as let me just say let's not go too far into spoilers. No, yeah, not at all, not at all. Okay. Um, uh, I you know that the bad things are happening to quote unquote you know good people in this movie like the um. The, the, obviously the, the applauding of eating the rich and all that good stuff uh, it, it happens in this movie. And I, I was struggling to find a good character in here to, to balance out the bad, right? So because the Joker's mind frame the entire time has certain things that happen, certain things that don't happen, and it's his – through the lens of the Joker, everything is shitting on him. Everything is bad to him. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm was the are the filmmakers smart enough to make it that meta where it's, you know, I there are good people in this film, but it you're just not seeing that per perspective. I mean, I think so. I do. I do think like as little as you have of Zazie Beetz character, for example, or even <laughs> I get not necessarily Thomas Wayne, but kind of I mean, yeah, not, yeah. yeah. Well, and again, so like those interactions that he has with Thomas Wayne, you know, is Thomas Wayne really that person or is this just the lens of the, you know, the Joker's broken brain having these interactions? Are they going that dark, that deep with it where, you know, everything that you're seeing in the film could be just looking through the lens of the Joker? And that's why he's presented as such a maybe a, a bad guy rather than a, a normal person. Well, see, and why why I don't think that this movie is that uh, deep or smart to do that is if that were the case, then why do you need the scene where Arthur confirms that he's adopted? You would think that he would want to keep on believing the lie, totally, and would and would present yeah. that to you that like, no, Thomas Wayne is my father, you know. Yeah, Good question for you guys: yeah. How smart is the Joker? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I I never actually thought about that before until you brought it up, Abe. Is is that they don't really give you an idea of whether or not he has this intelligent side to him if any, anything he feels like maybe he's kind of a little slow yeah which 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 raises a whole other slew of questions of you know whether or not he really is would this guy would become a villain like like ben said you know wh where's the where's the side of this guy who becomes a criminal mastermind that thwarts batman at every a turn exactly well that's yeah. i mean there are different there are various interpretations of the joker to begin with as far as how competent he is when it comes to the crimes that he commits whether he is yes the kind of ultimate smart gangster type persona or someone that's just more of a prankster that happens to be the, i mean there there have been various takes on the character to justify sure. it. this movie's trying to go a certain way but it's also very clearly a standalone i don't expect there to be joker 2 still joking uh so it's like it's not <laughs> but where, where we see like him later on and batman's involved at that point i do think this is just like this is it this is the movie that they made i think see. that they they made a very uh opportunistic character Right. So that they absolutely, uh, you know, these things ha happen to him and then he just leans into them hardcore and yeah, says, yes, absolutely. And and that's right. not a brilliant mastermind. But at the same time, that is still somebody who can do a bunch of damage. Yeah. And, and this is why, you know, not to compare Jokers here, but this is why the Heath Ledger Joker was very interesting, because that guy seemed like he had a plan and he kind of did. But also he didn't really care about plans, but he also had a plan. No, um, absolutely. I mean, you don't set up two fairies with exactly. That, that's exactly. Right. <laughs> he didn't plan it out. So like, yeah, but also like you what know, you, what, what's great about his delusions is that you know Nolan was a little bit better about having you know the story about his scars on his face just changes all the time. You know, he has different reasonings. He's he's just really weird in that way. For this one again, I just really couldn't get a read on him throughout the entire movie. I was, I was trying to get a sense of like, well, is this guy like a brilliant mastermind or is he just like a dope that just 
everything's just working in his favor. And I think it more fell toward the latter. It did. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily characterize him as a dope, but I think opportunistic is the right way to put it as far yeah. as, you know, things happen that he can take advantage <laughs> of. Uh, I, part of it is because he's undiagnosed as far as what, what is actually it? his affliction is, which I think is that's a better choice than actually applying something to it because that'd be problematic for other reasons. Um, sure. It it leaves it, you know, intentionally ambiguous. I just wish there was a stronger film around it to support a certain idea. Here's a question I have. Yeah. Do you, th- because, because of how he acts or whatnot, do you think, jo- regardless of how good Joaquin Phoenix is, do you think he's too old for this part? I, I, I actually have an age question for you guys, too. So it's a it's an origin story of Jack Nicholson's Joker, because I looked <laughs> I, I looked up the timelines, and Jack Nicholson would have been about 50 in 1989. <laughs> and so Joaquin Phoenix is, let's say that he's playing 40 mm, yeah. right now in this film. So yeah. And Jack Nicholson's character could have been 60. So, yeah, sure, why not? Like, do you think <laughs> he was playing 40, or do you think he was trying to play younger, but he just he looks like Joaquin Phoenix? <laughs> So I think yeah. he's trying to play younger, but he looks like Joaquin Phoenix. But I have a question about age for you guys, too. And well, how, how old do you think that, that he was supposed to be in this film? Exactly. That, that's my question, because that's oh, a sorry. question. I, I think he was... Great, great, great minds like then. I think he was supposed to be, like, like early 30s. I think that was the like the ideal 30s, here. Given, like, where we sit, we, like, we open up with him, and he's already got... He's gotten out of some kind of, like, institution. institution. Like, he, yeah. was, he was committed at some point, and now he's living with his mother at home. Who's also like she's also had her own issues in the path as well. Like it doesn't seem like he's necessarily older, but at the same time, if he's supposed to be slow, I can understand. I mean, there's room Here's, there. Like, yeah, exactly. The room part is this, and, and Brad, feel free to chime in with like your your uh how how old do you think our Arthur? God damn this <laughs> this Alfred <laughs> in my head now. How how old do you think Arthur is? Uh, I never actually thought about it, but if I were to put a pin on it, I would say that he seems like he's late 30s. Yeah, yeah. He seemed to me he's like late 30s, early 40s. And so the the follow-up question is like, your mom has been talking to you about letters from Thomas Wayne for I guess 30 some odd years since you remember, and you like you just start putting pieces together now. It's it's very like like you guys said, opportunistic, and that's just unfortunate. That's like a poor storytelling. Yeah, I thought of I thought of him. I looked at that uh, his body and and it just his kind of the the world traveled look of him. And maybe sure he's a younger guy that's just been kicked around, so he's a little older. But there's no way that he's not anything, uh, you know, south of forty in, in yeah. this role. It just can't be. Moving uh, into positives, no, <laughs> but we should though, because I wanted. Yeah, to yeah, I was gonna say like uh, the production design on this movie, fantastic, like. Like what you said, Aaron, they, they use like real uh, locations and sometimes they use sets, but the production design looks great. I mean, it definitely looks like 1981 New York uh, or Gotham. Um, and then also you have Joaquin Phoenix, uh, who I think delivers a pretty good performance. But, you know, Todd Phillips, aesthetically, his cinematography, top notch. I mean, that opening sequence where he actually, used, it, to me, it looked like he used like a tilt shift lens. Um, just to show Joaquin Phoenix like uh, splayed out on the ground with like Joker coming up on the screen, mm-hmm. I was like, "That's a really cool shot to have uh, for this because makes him look small, but also at the same time like look uh, a little bit weird on the screen." Great well, job on that. There's, set. there's a lot of shots that really kind of box him into the frame while either expanding or contracting the world around him. So it gives yeah. you like when he ever's in his like apartment or other kind of similar locations, it's very claustrophobic. It very much tries to like have you inside of his head and. 
I do think a lot of that is very successful when you are dealing with strictly Joaquin Phoenix just doing Joaquin Phoenix stuff. Like it's it's really good. And yeah, there's uh, Lauren Schur is a cinematographer. He yeah he really yeah he really brings out the kind of the life of Gotham in here. Uh, the movies it's certainly not in the same realm as like Nolan's films as far as making Gotham a very specific entity within it, but like you know inserting Joaquin Phoenix into this world I think is very successful. I think it it just really comes alive and far as far as kind of giving you weird angles and things to show like his creepy body like because of how much weight he lost too you get some like wonderful shots of him like from behind or from below that kind of emphasize how like it's not just that he's skinny yeah. it's that he looks weird that he's skinny like yeah, it doesn't yeah. it, it, it like it's not quite Christopher uh, Christian Bale in the machinist but he's still like it's an awkward frame of him at this point yeah because he, whenever he's, I saw those I was like I get it you lost weight for this role well, because he's like he's a stocky guy, so like if you take yeah. that off of him, it looks it, weird. Like, yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. And there were there were scenes where I was like, is, is that a body double? Especially the part where you see him from the back. I was like, is that a body double? And then I was like, I hope that the camera doesn't cut away because I want to see if that's it's actually just him. how he's contorting his body. Like, right, it's, it's weird. <laughs> Quick question for you guys: How lived in do you feel this movie was? Like, it feels like there's like seven locations and various extras in the background, but. Did you feel as though it was like, oh, yeah, this is it feels like a, a big city that is scummy. Uh, it didn't feel like as quite as big as Gotham mm-hmm. usually does. Um, it felt more like a, a mid tier metropolis because it didn't seem, you know, nearly as crowded or like there's some wide shots where you get like an idea of how big Gotham City is. So I think maybe it's just the the idea of that uh, Arthur lives maybe somewhere like on the outskirts of the city because the, yeah. obviously they can't, couldn't afford to live. Well, he, has in to, the... he has to take the subway every day. Into the yeah, city. exactly. So, so I, I think that the areas that he lives in don't quite feel like Gotham city usually does, yeah. but that's, that's probably the point. But I do think that it feel, definitely feels lived in and it feels, they did a great job of making it feel grimy and trashy. Mm-hmm. For sure. I, yeah. It, it definitely felt super lived in. I think the best ev- like part of that is when he is, running away from cops like there, there's a whole number of things going on where there's a lot of people involved that i think really emphasizes what the, kind of the city's what you're trying to see of the city at that point mm-hmm. i think uh, it's le- i think it's less successful at the end where there's an, another large scene of people but because the movie for me has gone off the rails at that point i'm just like well all right like <laughs> yeah i was like where did these people come from <laughs> <laughs> uh i would like to give uh, a special kudos i guess to the score for this movie sure. uh by hilder gudanato tier i think that's how you pronounce it um he like, like this score is incredible in this in this movie it's uh it's grand but also haunting and like it it really it adds that extra layer of, you know, dread and chaos to it, uh, the way it builds up in certain scenes and uh, just lays in the background in, in others. It's uh, it's an incredible score. And I uh, I'm really excited to, like, actually sit and listen to it now that I've seen the movie. Yeah. Yep. She worked with um, Johan Johansson, uh, who like worked on uh, Sakari, like the uh, various uh, Denny Villeneuve films. Um, oh, this and- is a, oh, the female composer. Yes. The Icelandic names always get me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she she works at you know like as a part of Johan Johan the who passed Johan Johansson's like network of people involving his mm-hmm. his scores and yeah, this well, is a solo. That, that explains it then because he's uh, he's one of my new favorite composers as well. Yeah, but uh, yeah, though it is, you know, at times it on it honestly reminded me of um, Hans Zimmer and 
James Newton Howard's scores for the um, for the for the the Dark Knight films. It felt like a almost an inverse in certain scenes, which I thought was kind of. I I can't think that was not like at least somewhat implied. Like there, there's just hearing it the way it was coming through. It like I I felt like certainly uh, Batman Begins in particular. I thought like I heard some like strings that really felt like it was doing a a take on that, which I thought was interesting. But yeah, I mean it is going for a, a another kind of unique way to bring life to this character um and emphasizing the darkness and right how yeah. kind of isolated I, I, I guess, he is yeah i didn't get like the nolan vibe uh zimmer things but i definitely got like the melancholy and like the whole entire like i guess deep in thought um even though this movie kind of lacks some of that so you know i guess in summary it's unfortunate because i it, we should actually get to some of the controversy as well but um in summary i would say like it's a little bit overhyped um not in terms of like the story and uh, not in terms of, like the acting and, and performances or whatever but more just like hey this you know this is a, another example of like just go see the movie <laughs> like don't don't believe the like your local news and be like be careful when you go see it. it's like nothing's gonna happen hopefully right. nothing knock on wood hopefully nothing's gonna happen kind of thing but it's like there's just nothing in this movie that that would be like egregiously over the top. Your son's not gonna go out and dye his hair green tomorrow, or your daughter. I mean, the movie's been out for what four days now. Right? Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday now, and nothing has been reported as of yet as far as not gonna would. <laughs> sure, uh, the movie opened at ninety three point five million dollars, so it's you know a hit. But uh, like Brett, I, I'm sure you guys on the uh, the Slash Film Daily podcast, you've talked about like the media exposure media exposure of of joker in this capacity do you the i certainly think it's been irresponsible to kind of put so many headlines out there that are in saying that this movie can do things as opposed to actually for one thing seeing the movie because i know a number of people that are writing about it haven't even seen the film but but have also just kind of promoted this idea that this movie is going to do it just because it can as opposed to what is actually in the movie do you, do you have any kind of further thoughts on that yeah, it's you know we we got to a point there were so many things happening as far as like a reaction to the movie when you know ninety five percent of the movie going public hadn't you know even even seen it yet you know it was critics and people that had gone to film festivals at that point mm-hmm. and you know there was we had discussion of whenever something came out it was like you know is this something that is you know important and relevant enough to cover without feeding into like this kind of hysteria that that's coming from it you know and it's it's hard because like some of it does feel like news when theaters are reacting to it and, you know, added security and, and all this stuff, but it's, you know, it, it's difficult when you're talking about a movie that, like I said, most people hadn't seen yet. And so how much, you know, do you want to hype up the movie, uh, you know, as a site that covers, you know, what's going on as far as marketing and that kind of thing. And, you know, like the, the responsibility of it, basically, especially because after you see the movie, it's, while there is a a clear you know possibility of, of influence, it's no more influential I think than any other movie has the, the sense to influence. Uh, my my parents and my girlfriend and I actually had a, like a long discussion about this, you know, on on the way home. And it's it's you have to wonder I guess you know how how much responsibility can you place on a movie for telling a story like this and if it actually does push somebody who maybe is in a similar position to an Arthur Fleck type character who is somewhat unstable, but does feel like an outcast and feels pushed to, you know, do something, whether or not they're making a political statement or doing it just because they feel like they've been stepped on by society their whole lives and that kind of thing, you know, how, 
how much blame can you place on a movie for being, I guess, the straw that breaks the camel's back as opposed to the society that didn't give them the the health care that they needed, you know, the 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 mental, uh, you know, health health care checkups that, you know, should be required, you know, that that people need in order to not feel that way, in order to not make it that far to the point that a movie makes them, you know, turn into this, you know, psychopath, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's where that's really where the the discourse lies right now is determining, you know, what role media plays in shaping the minds of people who may already be so easily influenced by anybody else that has a skewed belief system. Mm-hmm. It's a larger bag to open and discuss, which I we're not <laughs> entirely prepared to like do that on a much you know longer longer level. Uh, maybe a bonus show at some point, maybe because that'd be interesting. But, Could be, I mean, yeah. But for now, I mean, speaking to just the Joker, I mean, I, I, I so much agree as far as this movie. I, I just don't think it has enough in it to really go that far. And anyone that's kind of trapping and trapping in that sort of idea, it's like, are they really going to the movie like waiting to be like, well, let's see if this one tells me what to do or not, or if there's people are at that point just already kind of gone. Um, which is unfortunate, obviously, and nothing I, you know, not like you said, a knock on wood, nothing actually happens. Right. But I, I would place it at the responsibility of like those that are constantly turning out headlines just to get clicks at the risk of doing something as opposed to an actual movie that was made to be just a movie. Um, right. Especially and, when and it's kind of shallow as this. Yeah. The, the violent parts uh, toward the end there, I don't even see them as like, oh, wow, something's going to happen if you, first of all, you're not going to get into my TikTok show. Second of all, it's more like an homage than anything else. And also, you've seen worse in other movies, um, including things that people have been bringing up just recently. I uh, can't remember that name of that Rebecca Hall movie, but I didn't see it. But it's about like the reporter. Christine. It's, uh, Christine, yeah. Yeah, that one, where it's like, dude, that was a real-life event. You know what I mean? Like, these things are way more, like, uh, dark and depressing. Um, it's the whole entire, like, truth is stranger than fiction type thing. So... Brad, you brought up a great point of just like maybe the media should, uh, maybe you guys should just like chill the fuck out kind of thing. So, and any other thoughts on Joker as we uh, kind of wrap up the review? Overhyped. Um, I, liked, I, I liked it uh, as a movie uh, to to sit there in the experience. It was because of the performance and because of the way that it was shot and the score. It's a complete and thorough film, and so I was in it the entire time. Thinking about it afterwards and breaking it down, it just it loses its it it, it, it loses its its captivity of me as soon as I walk out of the theater. Hmm. Ben, that was apt. I'm gonna uh, echo that. Would you call it a theme park? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great. I think that might be a great way to put this movie. Like I I hit the turnstile on the exit and I'm like, eh. but in the moment I'm like, wow. Yeah, maybe like maybe like a maze at a scary farm of some kind. Yeah, I'm not I'm not kidding. That's a really good way to put this movie, in my personal opinion. See, Scorsese knows what he's talking about, guys. <laughs> did you uh, 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 a complete aside here? Did you um Todd Phillips couldn't help but fit in some of uh, a couple references to his previous stuff? Did you um obviously did you guys see Brian Callen in the movie? Yes, I saw Brian Cal. Yeah, he's like he's like best friends with Brian Callen. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like one every- of his coworkers, right? Yeah, he's in every Todd Phillips movie. And then there was a uh, an obscure reference to due date. Did you catch that? No, no. 
So in the scene when this requires Joaquin... me to remember due dates, <laughs> right? <laughs> so in the scene when Joaquin Phoenix puts in that tape from the Murray Show and he's practicing his appearance, mm-hmm. you, you you never clearly see the guest. But it, uh, first of all, it's Justin Thoreau. I saw that was Justin Thoreau. Uh, was he in due dates? Yeah, but but, but aside but aside from that, his character's name is Ethan Chase, which is the fake oh. name that Zach Galifianakis gives himself in due dates. Supposed to be his stage name when he's trying to be an actor. Okay, that's fine. good job, Todd Phillips. And then you blew it all up at the end there. I like uh, um, Justin Thoreau's like habit of like showing up for like five seconds of scenes now in this <laughs> and the Last Jedi. It's like, yeah, I just pop up in movies. Like that's my thing. Also, if you look carefully among the crowd uh, in Gotham City, one of the homeless people is Blue from Old School. That's not I, true. That's not true. I know he died. The, the other thing is also like, a but this is 1980s. Kind of... It's early. It's before old school. It's, oh, it's all the same universe. It's a Grand Moff Tarkin in Rogue One situation. I get it. <laughs> Frank the Tank is going to become a Batman villain. That's yeah. possible. The other thing is also just again the number of stand-up comedians that are in this movie. Maybe. Gary Goldman. Gary, Gary Goldman. Yeah. Chris Red was the MVP. He, he told some yeah. good jokes. That was yeah, good he actually yeah. had a really good joke. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, good, good bit. He's got so, he's got an HBO special out now. I gotta check that out. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He was just on the Pete Holmes podcast last week too. Oh, there you go. I remember him on Last Comic Standing that I've like never. Me seen too. He's got one of like the best jokes that I remember from that show. And then like, they always interview and I'm like, good for him. Still at it. Yeah. So good job. Um. All right. I thought I had a thought on. <laughs> so I'm trying. There was something about De Niro I wanted to. See. He just he had some good bits. He looks like uh he looks like singer uh what's his face? Man, I can't remember. Uh, singer, what's his face? Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I thought you were gonna make a, a comment about his appearance. No, he just looked like a you know '80s talk show host. Like he's doing. Hey, job. did you notice? Did you notice the font title for his his show was the font for Batman the Animated Series? I did. Yeah, I did notice that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, there's some clever stuff here. I just, I wish the Gotham stuff just hit better. I just the Thomas the, when it started going down the Thomas Wayne route is like, all right, like we need this connection and it doesn't even go anywhere, but he's still involved. Like I wish he was more of a kind of a figure on TV as opposed to like an actual character. Actually, like sure. him. Yeah, yeah. I will say I'm interested in into whether or not there is, that. There is true um the the idea of his mother being completely crazy and him not being the father is entirely true because and this ties into the idea of whether or not you can really rely on anything else in the movie as you know with the Zazie Beach thing even though they don't make any point to change any other scenes right. but after he even after he learns of his adoption uh yeah after he's getting ready, he looks at that picture uh, of his mom, and on the back it has a note that says, it says like I think it says love TW. And so it makes you wonder, is that something that his mom created, or is there the chance that Thomas Wayne really was rich and powerful enough to make all this go away and make it seem like he's not his son, you know? Again, the movie wasn't smart enough to actually make you double-check anything, because... There is like that one line that his mom has, which is like, um, they made me send some papers. Um, and I was like, yeah, see, this is very interesting now. But at the same time, like, I don't think that it would have, like, if you're going to make a, a construct with, you know, one character being a, a half sibling to another, it's like, this is, a, this is a little bit too much right now for me. Well, with all that, when should people go and see Joker, Brad? 
Um, I mean, I, I don't see any reason not to see it in, in theaters, you know, if anything, just so you can be part of the discourse and just see it for yourself and make your own decisions about what you think about it. Yeah, this is one of those movies that a lot of people are going to be talking about, and, and it, it'll be good just so that you can have your own uh, take on things and understand exactly, you know, what it is that's got everybody riled up. And you know, it, it, like Ben said, it is a movie that is very captivating when you're in the theater watching it, mostly because of uh, Joaquin Phoenix and you know the other positive elements that we we've, we've discussed. Uh, and so even if the sheen wears off after you, uh, you know, see the movie and think about it on a deeper level. It's it's one of those movies that I think is probably worth seeing as soon as possible. Ben, what do you feel? Yeah, I, I would think that Brad's exactly right. I think that because if if you like to be the uh, involved in any sort of you know discussion about the state of cinema today or anything like that, this is the movie this year so uh, so far that I would say is is the most important for you to see to to have that that discourse conversation. Uh, and it is fun while you're watching it. I've never seen a man uh, you know pull apart a clown shoe so. Theatrically. <laughs> That's what it chapter two could have used more of. <laughs> Just like, him, like Pennywise, like shape shifting after the fact. It's like those kids. <sighs> blah, get them someday. Anyway, this shoe. Oh, oh, these fucking shoes. He just like he starts growing tentacles out of his, his back too. I mean, that, that would have been a scary sight to see in it too. Yeah, I'm in. Lighthouse. Um, <laughs> oh, I just remembered what I was gonna say. Walking Phoenix walking into a door. That's funny. That was funny. The weird thing is there are a couple of beats in there that are just out and out funny. funny. Like yeah. the gun the gun scene. Uh yeah, yeah scene. I'm not gonna spoil anything, but that's funny. The the door, yeah, yeah walking in the door, that's it's those things are funny. Yeah. Joker's well, the got setup jokes. Too, the that's what I'm saying. Thing really funny too. Joker's got a few jokes on it, yeah. Yeah. Um, Abe, where would you say people? I think? you know, visually I think it's actually a really good looking, beautiful movie. Um and Aaron, just to your point. It basically is Todd Phillips' art house movie, but they released it by Warner Brothers and DC Comics. So good, good on uh, them. Um, School for Scoundrels was uh, Todd Phillips' art house movie. I'm sorry. Sure. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, but then I would say that uh, this is kind of like a dollar theater. Like I, I see it on the screen, but you don't have to like rush out unless you want to see like interpretive dance for two hours. I liked his dancing. I could use more of that dancing. I was just him. like, uh, this is. It's so on the nose, is what it was. It's like, let me go run away to the bathroom. Oh, this is my full transformation moment. And I'll then, oh, here I am in the mirror, and you see me. I'm a different person now. And it's like there is, I get it. I I think the good and bad combined into one scene for me, where it's right before he goes on the talk show, and he's like, he's doing the dance, and I'm like, I'm into this. And then he goes on the talk show, and it's like, you know, all that subtlety and nuance we were trying for in the writing, we're throwing that out the window, and he's just gonna say everything on his mind now on the talk show. And it's like, eh, okay. Yeah. Um, I do like this movie though. I do think it's worth seeing just because of yes, yeah, I mean, it's the Joaquin Phoenix show, and he gives a very Joaquin Phoenix performance here. And you have what is a good-looking movie for this DC universe, however connected this film may be to the others. It shows, once again, that I think the standalone films have a lot more going for them. And if they want to continue trafficking in the idea of let's give a director, you know, a smaller budget to realize a certain kind of vision and happen to tie in a IP property to it, like, yeah, go for that. Because it, it, it works to give you something interesting and provocative to talk about, at least, as opposed to something that's more generic and flavor of the week. Sure. So yeah, no, I think Joker works for what it's what it's doing, even if it's not entirely successful in being any deeper than it really kind of needs to be. 
question since this movie is obviously a big hit and warner brothers uh won't be able to to ignore that would you like to see joaquin phoenix as joker face off with batman i don't know because of what we uh, earlier talked about in terms of like how bright he is i'm just like now all of a sudden he's a he's a criminal genius you know what i mean i I put it this way. I think in just how I said I wish Thomas Wayne was more of like a character only on TV. Mm-hmm. If there was going to be another Joker film, I'd rather it be where it's still like focused on Joaquin Phoenix and Batman is just kind of an entity in the background, but never actually like seen in full swing. You know what I mean? Like I'm, not even, like, I'm not even sure how you do that, though, you know? I mean, there'd be some inevitable confrontation at the end or something, but I think a smart director and writers could put together a scenario where the movie is very much focused on Joker without involving Batman in a direct capacity. But that's wishful thinking, and I'm probably not going to get that. It's probably going to be like Joaquin Phoenix signs on to do more awkward talk shows, hyping up his Batman versus Joker. (laughs) Is he going to sleep on those talk shows? Uh, (laughs) Ben, what do you think? Uh, I think that... I think there is a way to do that. Um, I, I would actually, I would, I would, if they leaned more into. And Batman's trying to thwart something he can't directly attack because the Joker is chaos neutral and just doesn't have anything, no skin in the game. So it makes it even that much harder to catch. I think that you, there's something there for sure. Uh, and that would, could be really fun to watch. Um, but as far as like, here's a good guy versus a bad guy, make that superhero film there, that wouldn't work whatsoever. But if you did it very nuanced uh, as, uh, you know, the Batman trying to basically catch what, what is air vapor, you know, in his hands, because it's so, he's, he's so aloof and so out there that could be really fun. Mm. Or we just make Joe, Batman like more like the Thomas Wayne in this movie. Just make him really like he's he's doing good, but it's still like he's practically an antihero. Like he's just more like nobody likes Batman. <laughs> like like, but he's like he's out there doing his thing, and like he and Joker butt heads or something because of you know what the moral good of Batman is versus what the inherent nothing nihilistic evil is of Joker. Got it. And then I, you there, know, there the camera draws sure, away, and then you see that Joker is like in a straight jacket in Arkham. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I like as it. long as Mark Maron's in it, I'm. I'll watch. Yeah, <laughs> Mark Maron. Yeah, like I'm sure he has a six, if he has a six film deal. Like I think we're pretty much set. It could just like, be a spinoff of him. Like, the the Maron verse sent out yeah. there. Yeah, I like how they, they send out Mark Maron's like, hey, go promote this Joker movie, and then you're like, you're in it for like thirty seconds. <laughs> Anyway, but but I mean, you couldn't get enough of him, so it seems like he's pretty successful. <laughs> also, right. several times to call the cops is like after the segment is over. Oh, that talk show was ridiculous <laughs> for so many reasons. Oh yeah, that, that, <laughs> there, that though, was problematic yeah. for sure. <laughs> All right, let's move on now. Let's get to Abe. Hey, what uh, what time? It's is it? time for games. That was actually the uh, the opening theme for the Murray show, but uh, Aaron was like, I wasn't born yet. Yeah, that's what happened. Um, all right, that was the improv theme for games. I have a game for you guys this week. It is called The Jokes on Who? Hit it! It is a multiple-choice Joker trivia game. I'm going to ask you guys a number of questions that all have an A, B, C, or D option. I'd ask you to please let me finish the entire question and answers before you buzz in with your names and try to, you know, pick which one's correct. Okay. Makes sense? Makes sense. Hands on buzzers. Hands on buzzer. Which comic book writer slash artist was not involved in creating the original Joker? A. Bill Finger. B. Bob Kane. C. Jerry Robinson. 
or D, Neil Adams? Brad. Brad? Bob Kane. Incorrect. No! No, oh, I've got uh, only three choices left, so I'm going to let Ben lose and then Ben. <laughs> ben? Whoever D was. D is correct. Neil Adams. <laughs> That's awesome. I was like, yeah. I don't know if name a letter. <laughs> yeah, Bill Finger, Bob Kane, and Jerry Robinson all came up with the Joker in various ways, although there is still an unsettled um, situation involving who gets like proper credit in all this. But yeah. Todd Phillips. Todd Phillips, yeah. Okay, next question. Part of Joker's inspiration came from this silent film star. A, Lon Chaney. B, Charlie Chaplin. C, Conrad Veidt. D, Rudolph Valentino. Ben. Ben? Charlie Chaplin. Incorrect. Abe. Abe? Rudolph Valentino. Incorrect. Brad's 50-50 now. What were the other two choices again? Lon Chaney or Conrad Veidt. Uh, Lon Chaney. All of you are incorrect. The answer was C, <laughs> Conrad Veidt, the, the most famous movie that he started, The Man Who Laughs, which has him featuring a giant Joker grin that inspired the Joker character. Um, that is the very clear answer. Well, send in the class. I thought because they didn't, they showed a Charlie Chaplin movie in yeah modern times yeah joke. they did yeah so that's that's where my head was at what you guys are telling me is that this question was entirely successful in throwing you off because <laughs> I, I had to come up with three other 100%. silent film stars 100%. that fit <laughs> perfect here's the next one joker debuted in comics in a 1939 b 1940 c 1941 or d 1944 abe abe d 1941 incorrect yeah brad brad 1940 that is correct it is 1940 he debuted <laughs> Um, after the t- Detective Comics issue, he was in, like, Batman number one um, as Joker, a character who almost was killed off in the second issue he was in. Mm, wow. Ben, the next question. 1940. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Internet Explorer. <laughs> Here's the next question. Joker's famous sidekick Harley Quinn debuted in this Batman the Animated Series episode, A, The Last Laugh, B, be a clown. C, the laughing fish. Or D, Joker's favor. Abe. Abe? The laughing fish. Incorrect. I just like the name of that episode. Ben. Ben? Was there one, the Joker's favor? Joker's favor. That is I'm going to say that one. Yep. That is mm. correct. Yep. Dr. J. Mr. J. Mr. J. <laughs> Mr. J. <laughs> Dr. J? Yeah. <laughs> He's either a basketball player or a famous I was rapper. thinking about she's like a psychiatrist, right? Or she works in the hospital. So. Dr. J. Uh, Mr. J, I'm sorry Here, about here's that. Here's the next one. What actor famously refused to shave his mustache, choosing to paint it white with the rest of his face as well, in the Batman 60 TV show? A, Burgess Meredith. B, Cesar Romero. C, John Astin. Or D, Vincent Price. Brad. Brad? It's Caesar. Caesar Romero is the correct answer. Can you imagine if Burgess Meredith was Joker? You... You got him this time, Batman. I mean, he was Penguin, so. <laughs> yeah, he's probably a pretty good Penguin himself, but. I mean, before I'm... he was, you know, crusty no, no, old yeah. guy in the Rocky he movies, old, he yeah, was a. old, crusty Mick Trainer. <laughs> he was a respected actor. I mean, he's still respected yeah. in those movies. <laughs> Next question. Which of the following is not one of Joker's nicknames? A, the Clown Prince of Crime. B, the Harlequin of Hate. C, the Jester of Doom. Or D, the Ace of Knaves. Abe. Abe? Jester of Doom. 
The gesture of doom is correct. That I've just been choosing C for this whole game. I don't know if you noticed. I, I have noticed. <laughs> I know whether it's going to be successful or not, obviously. <laughs> so. All right. Here's the next one. How many actors who have played the Joker have been at least nominated for an Oscar? A, 2, B, 3, C, 4, or D, 5? Ben. Ben? I'll say 2. Incorrect. Brad. Brad? 3. 3 is the correct answer. Can you uh, name them? Screw off, Brad. Yes, it's, it's Joaquin Phoenix, Jack Nicholson, and Heath Ledger. Preemptively guessing Joaquin Phoenix, huh? No, Joaquin Phoenix did get an Oscar nomination. Oh, oh, I thought I thought it was a, a nomination for playing Joker, and I was like, "Whoa, weird." You know what? I'm wrong. <laughs> is Brad is Ben right? No, he's not right. Abe C. It actually it's four. <laughs> who's, the, who's the fourth? Wait, what, what was the question? Jared Leto. He won an Oscar. He won an Oscar for Dallas. Oh, oh gosh, you know that just goes to show you how shitty Jared Leto was as Joker. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like the metallic grill? <laughs> I'm gonna give it. To, I'm gonna give it to. I'm gonna give it to Brad and Abe. And, and no, 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 don't don't give it to me because I was just fucking around. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. I had uh, Brad. You get the point, but it's still yeah. I was wrong. I, I forgot, mean, to, I forgot, fair, I forgot to include one. Yeah, the question was how many? How many? Well, I said at least nominated for an Oscar. Got it. Because Joaquin Phoenix hasn't won an Oscar. That was my point in that, where the other two had, but I forgot Jared Leto won the Oscar also. (laughs) (laughs) Next question: Which actor was not considered for Joker in Tim Burton's 1989 Batman? A. David Bowie. B. Dustin Hoffman. C. Tim Curry. Or D. James Woods. Wow, Ben. Ben. James Woods. Incorrect. What? I know. Wow. <laughs> hey, I'm going to straight here. Abe. Yeah? B. It, it is B. Dustin Hoffman was not considered. Yeah. Doesn't seem James like... James Woods as a uh, joke. <laughs> Come on, Batman. I'm the smartest man here. I can't do a James Woods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, just talks, he just talks frantically, right? Or frenetically. Yeah, he's an, and he's an asshole, too. Yeah, he's, he's a huge asshole. <laughs> hey, do you have any underage women that I can hit on? <laughs> All this hand out of my chest. <laughs> we got, we have three more. Get it. Before Harley Quinn, Joker's original sidekick was a Captain Clown, B Louis laughs a lot, C Gagsworth a Gagsworthy, or <laughs> D Peter Prankster. Brad. Brad. C. The answer is C Gagsworth a Gagsworthy. Oh, that's what I was gonna guess. Because <laughs> this is so silly. That's a that's a funny name. I had to come up with three other possible sidekick names for that question. Oh, you just made them up? <laughs> I made up the other three, yes. Uh, all right. I thought Louis laughs a lot was pretty good. That's good. Uh, <laughs> okay, next one. Which member of the Bat family did the Joker kidnap and try turning into his own child? A, Barbara Gordon. B, Tim Drake. C, Damian Wayne. Or D, Dick Grayson. Abe. Abe? I don't know if this is right, but I want to say uh, uh, Damian Wayne. Incorrect. Brad. Brad? Tim Drake. It is Tim Drake. Tim Drake. Oh, okay. Yeah, I kind of remember like some comic book covers now. Tim Drake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last question. Mark Hamill voiced Joker in all of these Batman Arkham games except A, Arkham Asylum, B, Arkham Origins, C, Arkham City, or D, Arkham Knight. I've never played any of these, so you guys take it away. D, Arkham Knight. Incorrect. Brad. Brad? 
Arkham Origins. Arkham Origins is the correct answer. What? Which one that. is that one in? What order is that? That's the third game that came okay. out. Because there is Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. Arkham City, where the Joker dies, and then what? Arkham Origins. <laughs> yeah. But then Arkham Knight, he's back. <laughs> Classic coming back from the dead. It's actually clever how he comes back, but he actually is back. Like, in <laughs> um, is it Wake Up Juice from Back to the Future Three? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good game here. Abe uh, didn't win. Nope. <laughs> ben, you didn't win either. Brad, you ran away with Hey! It's like our stupid show. <laughs> he always wins because he rigs the game for himself? Yep. Oh. No, I, I mostly win because Ben's an idiot. <laughs> Listen, I am only an idiot some of the time. <laughs> Boom. Roasted. 60% of the time works, 90% of the time. Uh, All right. That was the jokes on who. Congratulations, Brad. Good job. Good, good game, Aaron. Hey. Thank you. I thought I think we all learned something. That was the yeah. idea. Yes. Caesar Romero. I learned a lot. Caesar Romero painted his mustache. I love it. <laughs> yeah, he's like, no. Yeah. I like <laughs> that is my favorite thing though, like because back then he had such power, he's like, fuck off, I'm not doing it. And they're like, no. you know what? We will just paint your mustache. <laughs> what? It's like it's like good. That's, That's what I so want anyway. <laughs> no, that makes him even more menacing. <laughs> he's what a guy that would paint his mustache. That actually is a very joker thing to do. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like, I'm trying a new look, but I still got to joke it up. So you know what? I'll just paint over it. <laughs> that's how he. That's what he says when he's getting the character. Time to joke it up. He starts laughing. <laughs> Puts the paint on. Gets he hands game. himself like his like sorry that I'm laughing card. Yes. Did you guys like uh, uh, his laugh the the way that he did it compared to all the other jokers that we've seen? I liked his laugh when he was at the uh, the Gary Goldman um, show when he was. It was really like. Like, yeah. it was, yeah, that's it, pretty it, good that's yeah. is he wait is Joaquin Phoenix on the show <laughs> that was him responding he doesn't say much yeah he was, <laughs> he was never really here but exactly but yeah no I, I like that laugh when it was like really over the top and he was in the guy and he was laughing before like the punchlines were hitting <laughs> no, he, no, he was la he was laughing at lines that weren't punchlines yeah I'm saying, yeah, before the punchline. Yeah, yeah, it was like off the other laughter. He would like which laugh at the it. setup or whatever. Yeah, yeah. they're going to do a they're gonna do a female reboot of this movie called Joke Her. Her Walking Phoenix. Okay, you know what? Fine. Okay, it's fine. You know I, what? See now why, I see now why Brad wins all the games. God damn it. <laughs> all right. Let's get us about no feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where I go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page. Facebook.com slash podcast. We asked a number of questions to listeners, then they gave us answers. And uh, I don't think we got any questions this week. But yeah, so we just have some questions here. Abe, why don't you start this one off? The question is, it's Joker week. Who are your favorite Joker, jesters, or comedians? Uh, Justin writes, Heath Ledger would have really liked to see more of him in that role. Jack Nicholson was also fantastic. Catherine writes, Cesar Romero in the old Batman TV series. He was nuts. And my favorite Joker, crying emoji. Uh, Chris writes, Laurel and Hardy, they still make me laugh. Otherwise, Jack Nicholson. I think we kind of for this with our stuff earlier too. Well, those stand-ups. I mean, like in in cinema, like your jokers, your jesters, your comedians. Mm hmm. Um. Hmm. Does a uh, Paul Bettany in a Knight's Tale count? He's kind of a. There you go. He's hamming it up. It's more of an orator, I suppose. But. I mean, I like. Uh... <laughs> That Aziz Ansari did an exaggerated version of his own act when he played Randy in Funny Randy. People. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. I don't really remember too many other 
like people playing comedians on yeah uh, blanking right now feel free to shout any out if you suddenly think of some uh next question we have here who are your favorite sad clowns Matthew writes, Gwynplaine from The Man Who Laughs, played by Conrad Wright, the answer to that question from earlier, uh, the best clown ever in my favorite film of all time. Uh, Catherine writes, Smokey Robinson. And Chris writes, Carlos Arises from The Last Circus, or Art the Clown. And Michael has Pennywise. Hmm. Is The Last Circus that Italian, that weird Italian movie? Hmm? Is The Last Circus that weird Italian movie about, like... At least the Charlie Chaplin movie. Oh, okay. All right. I don't know what I'm thinking about then. Um, I don't remember the clown's name, but uh, the uh, in La Strada, that's that's pretty good. The Fellini yeah. movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also Ben Conowitz. Oh, come on! <laughs> I told you that in confidence. <laughs> clown that's even sadder. Puglisi, right? Isn't that Puglisi, Puglisi from? Is the clay, yeah, yeah. That's my favorite. Uh, I I said clownfidence. Oh, 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 oh. oh, you. How about, yeah, the... how about uh, if you're going to be really depressing, uh, Robin Williams, pretty pretty sad clown. Oh, that's no, is... too soon. Come on. It's not really a joke. It's actually true. Yeah. Yeah. All those the comedian drugs. in uh, Watchmen was pretty sad. <laughs> was, was he sad or was he awful? <laughs> oh, he's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. He has regrets. I mean, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> like at the at the beginning of when he gets murdered, he doesn't seem like he's like super shit. He's super happy. In the middle, yeah, he's pretty much raking in the anarchy at that point. Uh, does he ever, uh, you know, do any stand up in that? I don't think he does, right? I mean, he's, he's the com- he's just the he's just cracking jokes all the time. Yeah, well, just, like, you know. yeah, very inappropriate jokes all the yeah. time. Look at all these dead people. Um, anyway, next question is uh, what joke, your... Abe? Yeah. <laughs> It's like in the crime scene. It's like, look at all these dead people. Uh, the other thing I also don't like, this is like back to Joker. He writes in his, his little joke book, sexual jokes are funny, and he doesn't do any of those. So it's almost like, you know, it, it's weird. Not that those are funny, but more just like, this is a guy who's supposed to be losing it, and yet he's holding himself back in these open atmospheres. So it's, well, we, it's, didn't, we didn't see much of his stand-up. I mean, jo- again, Joker 2 is still joking. He'll probably have worked out his... He'll, like, he'll, work out, he'll, be, he'll, he'll have worked in his tight five at that point. So, like, he'll be really able to get on stage. and Basically, going back to everybody's point of, like, feels empty. I'll uh, say this. When they showed the notebook, uh, it reminded me of our thing in A Quiet Place, Abe, where it has, like, a big chalkboard <laughs> that says, What's the answer? What's, like, yeah. what's the weakness? It's sound! <laughs> it was really weird that they showed the entirety of the notebook in the middle of Joker. Yeah, that was it was a weird <laughs> choice. But, you know, classic Phillips, I suppose. Um, what's your favorite Joaquin Phoenix performance? Catherine writes, hardly his best role, but I really enjoyed him in Signs, mainly because of the scene where the three of them sit on the couch wearing the tinfoil hats. The look on his face, I just fell off my couch laughing. Justin has Space Camp, childhood favorite, to die for because of Nicole Kidman, but Gladiator was my favorite. Michael has Johnny Cash. Luke has I'm Still Here because people genuinely believed his character was the real him and not just for a movie. Christopher has Walk the Line as Johnny Cash and Commodus in Gladiator. Adam writes Freddie Quill in The Master and Johnny Cash in Walk the Line. And lastly, Chris has Joe in You Were Never Really Here, also her, and Walk the Line. And lastly, Michael has Freddie Quill. I do think You Were Never Really Here is a really interesting character and the way that they, how little there is of, there's a lot of minimalist things in that film that I think really work about it, but just like the way he reacts to certain things, I I just find that really interesting. Like we've talked about that scene last year, Abe, where he's, 
basically singing with a person that is slowly That's dying. And one it's of just, my favorite scenes from last year. <laughs> it's a really great sequence. Um, but like, yeah, he's great there. I think I'm not he, like the master isn't one of my favorite PTA films, but I do think he's, I think everybody is rather excellent as far as their acting goes in that yeah. movie. I will, I'll throw in uh, that. I think that he was brilliant as uh Kanai in uh, brother bear. There you go. Yeah. I was trying to think of a joke answer for this too, Ben. So yeah. <laughs> this is what happens when Ben searches IMDb to figure out what other Joaquin Phoenix movies he likes. No, I was just trying to remember the word uh, gladiator. Yeah, it was really hard for me. <laughs> also, Brother Bear kind of underrated because Rick Moranis is in it for uh, the. Rick Moranis a... and um, uh, what's his name? Uh, is it Dave Thomas? Oh yeah, that was uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, that was really like, a joke Oops. answer. That was my real answer, guys. Oh, okay, sorry. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Next anyway. question we have here. Robert De Niro appears in Joker as a clever homage to the King of Comedy. What are your favorite meta or clever casting choices for movies? Donsky writes, Sergio Leone casting Henry Fonda was a stroke of genius. It was. It must have been a shock. Sorry. It must have shocked the hell out of the audience at the same time. And Quentin Tarantino did the same with Leonardo DiCaprio in Django Unchained. Chris writes, for me, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark or even Sherlock Holmes, both characters dealing with their demons. Luke writes Bill Murray as Garfield, since OG Garfield was Vankman in Ghostbusters, the Ghostbusters cartoon. Uh, and Scott writes Jack Nicholson's unbilled role in Broadcast News. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Bill Murray, almost like in his roles now, where he's you know Zombie Land, Bill Murray. Those are great. I'm trying to think of any other ones. Yeah, like some really big meta uh, casting, or like cameos from you know what uh, James Garner in Maverick. Yeah, I like that a lot. Wait, is that something? Is that is that with Paul Hogan? No. Okay, what am I thinking of? I don't know. Dial Dundee. No, there was like uh, uh, some other movie where he's like an old Western card player guy. With Paul Hogan? I thought it was Paul Hogan. Maybe it was somebody else. Maybe I mean, like, who's in Maverick? It was Hulk Hogan. Maverick is Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Sorry. That's awesome. (laughs) Welcome to the Wild West, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Like a six foot seven guy telling you that, I'd just get the hell out of there. (laughs) He's got a real tiny cowboy hat on. (laughs) Just a fascinator cowboy hat. Is he only wearing like his yellow underwear and like a like a long trench coat? Yes. Get along, little doggies. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, all right. Well, next question is, uh, what movies feature the grittiest cities? Uh, Richard writes, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. You just <laughs> you just know there was some shitty shit going on in the <laughs> land of make-believe. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. Uh, Scott has Escape from New York. Christopher has Frank Miller's Sin City. April has The City from Seven. Uh, Justin has Blade Runner, Jeff has Dark City, and lastly, Tyler has Taxi Driver. Gritty those are, cities. Those are good. Those yeah. are good examples. I think that like anything that Zack Snyder designs is not on this list. <laughs> just, a, just uh, oh, sorry, I was thinking, just thinking, uh, just uh, bad. There you go. <laughs> Aaron, any um, gritty cities? I'm trying to think of something like something that wasn't mentioned already. Haddonfield, because um, everyone's always watching that for Michael Myers. <laughs> it's not gritty. It's a suburb. <laughs> it's a suburb. It's a, friend, it's a friendly <laughs> suburb for the most part. Um, uh, you know, Toontown's pretty gritty. That's true. 
It's going to be I taken mean, over by uh, Christopher Lloyd. A lot of things going on there. Yeah. All right. I mean, ta- I mean, you can look at a lot of Scorsese films that aren't Taxi Driver and see kind of some grittiness to like bringing up the dead because it's dealing with like Hell's Kitchen and just like things going on with the uh, late at night for Nick Cage as the paramedic and whatnot. Like there's a lot of just grittiness inherent in there. Mm-hmm. But all but all New York themed. Generally, although like Blade Runner's L.A. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so escape from L.A. There's the answer. We already have escape <laughs> yeah. from New York. Escape from, got escape from Yeah, New York. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next question we have here. Between Joker and Lucy in the Sky, we have a couple of movies about the mental breakdowns this week. What other movies do you like to deal with this topic? Chris, uh, or sorry, Justin writes One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Event Horizon. Chris writes Have to Agree with Justin, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and The Shining. Tammy has The Aviator and Catherine has What About Bob? That's a great, that's a great call. The comedy, but that guy's losing it. I mean, he's taking baby steps towards success. <laughs> no, no, Richard Dreyfus loses it. Yeah. yeah Rich- so yeah, I guess that the movie does apply. You're not right. <laughs> <laughs> The Shining think, would have been my go-to example. By the way. I think of uh, a movie like Platoon, like yeah. with the, yeah. just the overall breakdown of, and it's just multiple characters going through so much. But yeah, I think that that just sprung to the front of my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matthew Modine, a lot of balls on that guy during boot camp to like call out your drill instructor and be a joker. No, isn't that uh, that's a is that uh, Full Metal Jacket? Oh, what what yeah. did you say? Platoon? Platoon. Platoon, my bad. I was like, where are you going with this? <laughs> yeah, I was trying right. to make it, yeah, no, I, that's... No, uh, no, that no, that's, that's, uh, that's me and that's Arthur and Alfred today. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. I, make, I mix those movies up too, though. Yeah, exactly. War movies, you know, war is hell. All right. All right. Well, back, back, back. Yep. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to a little, let's wrap things up. Let's start wrapping things up here a little out now. Presents without now. These are movies that are coming out on Blu-ray, 4K, DVD, streaming, and all that this week. First up on 4K and Blu-ray, we have Toy Story 4. Yeah, check it out. Feel free to give a yay or nay to these as I go through them. Uh, Midsommar. Eh. I'm a big fan. Uh, let's see. Annabelle Comes Home. Didn't see it. It's fine. I, I liked it. Uh, the Wedding Guest. This is one with uh, Dev Patel um, as an assassin. <laughs> okay. Uh, I've heard good things about this one. I want to see it. All right. Uh, Deadwood the movie is out this week. Did Deadwood that just game. come out to like HBO or did that? Yeah, it oh, came out. Okay. On, it hit on HBO back in May and got it's it. got a Blu-ray release. Uh, let's see. On TV, you have Vikings season five, volume two. Is that really what it's called? That's what this release is called. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's DVD Blu-ray. Got it. Cool. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Especially stuff we have from Beyond the Grave and Shazam, the complete live action series from Warner Brothers Archive. Okay. Um, let's see. Three and from Criterion, we have three silent classics by Joseph von Sternberg. That's on, that's on Criterion this week. Uh, let's see. New to streaming on Netflix, uh, we have In the Tall Grass. This is based off a Stephen King uh, novel. It's directed by Vincenzo Natali, who uh, directed Cube. Uh, and um, well, what about Hypercube and Splice among other? Not Hype, he didn't direct. Oh Hypercube. well, I'm out. <laughs> no, this is one I'm looking forward to checking out because I do like Natalie's directorial style and the premise sounds uh, pretty intriguing. Cool. Uh, let's see. Also on Netflix, Raising Dion. This is a series produced by uh, Michael B. Jordan, who has a co-starring role in it. But it's about a young. It's like an origin story for a young boy who has superpowers. Mm, okay. 
And uh, Big Mouth Season 3 is also on Netflix now as well. Cool. On Prime, you have Billy Bob Thornton in Goliath Season 3. I'd like to think his name is Goliath, but I'm probably not correct in that, but that'd be fun. His uh, his assistant's called, like, Brooklyn, and the other one's called, like, uh, Maddox. <laughs> okay. It's a gargoyle's joke. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> now, for the listeners that didn't get it who aren't, who aren't old like me. Oh, the, the listeners that don't know the Disney series <laughs> Gargoyles. <laughs> and um, High Life is now on uh, Amazon Prime as well, the uh, sci-fi film with Robert Pattinson. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I got you. Yeah. Um, yeah, all right. That's what that was. Now, uh, next week's show, next week we'll be talking Gemini Man, the Ang Lee, Will Smith, and Will Smith star uh, shot in 120 frames per second and in 3D. Uh, is it yeah. really in 3D? Yeah, it's in 3D. Uh, yes. It's an Ang Lee movie. That's what he does. <laughs> All right. High frame rates I, in 3D. Am I weird because I'm kind of excited to see it? Is, is I'm that... very I'm excited, excited to see it. Okay. Yeah. It has two... Will- you get one, <laughs> and then they, get, they need to give you another one. But, like, I'm not, like... It's not a joke for me. Like, I do... Like, I saw the trailer, and I was like, oh, that's that'll be, like, a funny yeah. thing to go see. No, but now I saw the latest it. trailer, I'm like, I'm actually into this. I'm, like, if Angley wants to make a cool action movie with Will Smith, I'm for it. And if it cool. happens to involve, like, all this technology, like, sure. Like, why would I, why I want to I'm go and more, see that? Yeah, I'm more for, like, the technology part. I, I, I lament this all the time, but I kind of lament missing uh, Billy Lynn's halftime walk just to see it in theaters at, like, was that also 120 frames per second? It was, yeah, it's made the same way, 3D and 120 frames per second. I was like, oh, I actually kind of see what he was trying to go here with, like, the realism during the, the battle sequences. And then Aaron was like, the whole movie's in 120. And I was like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I'll be, I think that something like this, a straight-up action movie, will probably be more suited to that technology. But, I mean, yeah. if Ang, if that's what Ang Lee wants to go for, like, I, I want to see that. I want to yeah, see what same. that looks like. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, last thing we'll do here. What should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next? Ben, let's start with you. What should people see in theaters right now? Um, let's, gosh, what is out right now? Um... What just came out this uh, or no? What what came out uh, with the Joker this weekend? Do you guys know? Lucy the Sky, Pain and Glory, Wrinkles the Clown, Dolomite is my name. <laughs> um, let's see here. Dolomite, did that come out? No, nope. it's in limited release. Okay, that's the no. one that I'm. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one that's coming out that I'm most excited to see personally. I I want to see that this is a true return to form for Eddie Murphy. I'm I'm excited. All right. Brad, what should people see in theaters right now? Uh, you should go see Britney Runs a Marathon. Uh, it's a Sundance movie that I really like that should still be playing in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, you should also... Uh, Good Boys is still in theaters, isn't it? I feel like... Yeah, I, think I so, feel yeah. like It's, I feel it's like, a thousand theaters. Yeah, people still need to go out of their way to see that because that's... Uh, the movie's hilarious. I think I really think that it, it, it is one of the best comedies of the year, and people should go out of their way to see it, especially now because no one's going to be in there. And you can just laugh your ass off to yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think those are the and oh, and if Peanut Butter Falcon is playing somewhere near you, go out of your way to see that too. Please Brad, how about how about Angel Has Fallen? Uh, I, I don't know what what that movie is. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the Olympus Has Fallen trilogy. Oh, is that like about the Olympics? <laughs> yeah, like, yes, yes, Richard, it is. It's a prequel to Richard Jewell. <laughs> <laughs> what do you see next, Brad? Uh, I'm real excited about Jexy. Looks like a real winner. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. It looks like dog shit. <laughs> uh, the next thing I'm uh, most excited to see is probably Jojo Rabbit. All right. Cool. Abe? 
Uh, give some love to Abominable, and if you can travel to like you know 200 miles to go see the farewell in one of its like last legs thing, go check out the farewell. Uh, next will be Gemini Man. Gemini Man. Yeah. Um. I mean. We did like Joker overall. Like I would say, yeah, if you can go see Joker in theaters, like it's. it's I already told people to go see Joker in theaters. Fair enough, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I was big on Ad Astra, so I'd still say see Ad Astra. Um, if you can find Monos, go see Monos. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, Pain and Glory is in very limited release, but that's quite good. We'll spread wider. Uh, the next thing I'm seeing is Gemini Man, so I'm in in 120 frames in 3D. So there you go. And uh, yeah, with all that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work, my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. All my written reviews and everything I do ends up over there. I'm also on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? Find more fun stuff over my Instagram, abe.mua, and twitter.com slash walrusmoose, hashtag send in the clowns. <laughs> ben Conowitz, where can people find more of you? Hey guys, uh, if you're in the Northwest Indiana area ever, uh, we have a big comedy Laporte. It has a Facebook page. We do charity shows uh, for comedy, and we had uh, we've had Kyle Kinane come through, and Ooh. Stuart Huff, and we do improv, and we just last night actually did a a game show, a Family Feud version, uh, live local, and that was uh, we're over a hundred thousand dollars donated to local charities. So if you're ever swinging through the Northwest Indiana area, check us out on Facebook. Big comedy Laporte. Very isn't, cool. there, isn't that also another cool thing opening up in Northwest Indiana soon? Uh, yeah, we're uh, I'm uh, I'm opening an escape room in my hometown of Laporte, Indiana. So if you're hey. uh, if you're an escape room uh, fanatic and you want to come check us out, we'll be open in a couple weeks. That's lpescape.com. Are they still on the sequel there? Yes, <laughs> that we're gonna premiere Escape Room Two on the side of the on the wall outside. Brad <laughs> uh, where can people find more of you? Uh, well, Ben and I have a, a stupid podcast that we do. Very dumb. Uh, called Go Flix Yourself, F-L-I-X, available on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. And uh, if you go listen to an episode, make sure you leave a review on uh, your podcast app on iTunes, because uh, since the escape room isn't open yet, the window is still open for us to hit 100 reviews through the iTunes podcast app. And if we do, Ben has to get a one-by-one-inch tattoo Anywhere on his body that's covered by clothing, and our listeners get to choose what that tattoo is. <laughs> and yep. until the escape room is open, this is open for completion. So go to our podcast page. Please uh, give us a rating. Five stars, if you please. But be honest, if you listen to the show and you're like, man, fuck these chuckleheads. Uh, <laughs> so, so please please do that. We wa- want to give Ben just something he'll remember for the rest of his the, life. The front runner currently is a photorealistic third nipple next to my actual nipple. Wow, really that going be... for uh, <laughs> Mars just, there, huh? Just trying to ruin my life. <laughs> the other option is is the cartoon version of me from our Go Flix Yourself logo and putting it probably like right above his belly button. What is uh, my, when's my, the escape my, room my... open? What's that again? What, when's when the escape, is the escape room, room open? opening? So when's it was supposed game? to open like a month ago, and we've kept, we kept having delays and delays, so this has become kind of a running gag. But we are legitimately hoping to open like mm, I would say we should take our first booking in about three weeks. Okay, so everyone has to like plug away here and try and get to 100 <laughs> reviews. I'll, I'll just say my suggestion would be the original design for Sonic the Hedgehog the movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Arm, oh. legs. With the teeth. With the teeth. <laughs> That's the worst one yet. <laughs> all right <laughs> you can find all the all the other episodes about now with name on itunes audio boom spotify and stitcher hwlid soundcloud or podomatic uh feel free to email us at outnotpodcast at gmail.com facebook.com slash podcast or twitter.com slash 
and uh, underscore podcast. And of course, our Instagram page, out now pod, out now underscore podcast once again. Uh, thank you, Brad and Ben, for joining us this thank week. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, it's always fun. For sure. Glad to have you guys back on here. Uh, stay tuned for more horror-related episodes all through October. But until next week, when we get into how many Will Smiths we need to make a fun action movie, that's going to do it. So until then, so long. And goodbye. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm gonna change that tune. When I'm back on top, back on top in June. I said that's life. And as funny as it may seem, some people get their kicks stomping on a dream. But I don't let it, let it get me down. Cause this fine old world, it keeps spinning around. I've been a puppet, a pauper, a pirate, a poet, a pawn and a king. I've been up and down and over and out And I know one thing Each time I find myself Flat on my face I pick myself up and get back in the race That's life I had to come up with three other possible sidekick names for that question. Oh, you just made them up? <laughs> I made up the other three, yes. Uh, all right. I thought Louis Lassalot was pretty good. It's good. Uh, <laughs>